This episode of The Loyal Sun Show is brought to you by Rendine Consulting. If you've listened to us for any amount of time, you know all about Rendine Consulting's commitment to the Pitt Athletics program and brand, and how much they've meant to the Loyal Suns. That's Rendine Consulting, providing investment managers assistance with technology integration. Visit www.rendineconsulting.com for more information. That's www.rendineconsulting.com. Almost heaven. Pennsylvania. Blue Ridge Mountains, Shenandoah River. Life is older, older than the trees, younger than the mountains, growing like a breeze. Country roads, take me home to the place I belong. Pennsylvania. Mountain mama, take me home. Hello and welcome back to The Loyal Sun Show. That's at The Loyal Suns on Twitter. Follow us there and follow us here for pit sports content you won't want to miss. If you love beating West Virginia and hate Sunday injury rumors, this is the place for you. The Loyal Sun Show, a safe, sunshiny place for your pit athletics fix. Brought to you by Pittsburgh Sports Now. Today is September 7th, and your Pitt Panthers are undefeated. Feels a lot better being 1-0 than it would be being 0-1. I'm still trying to get my voice back, and we're, what, four days removed from the game, so. But it's all worth it. Left my heart and soul out there. Mine was gone before we left the stadium, so we had some time to recover. Uh, Physically, mentally, we were just kind of fat blobs on the couch the following two days watching more college football. So we're starting to get there. And the replay of the backyard brawl a couple times. I think I'm on uh, watch two or three of that one. Our voices and our uh, brain cells were all lost to a good cause. The Pitt Panthers beat the West Virginia Mountaineers 38 to 31 in an absolute instant classic on Thursday night. Uh, The atmosphere was unbelievable. The game was unbelievable. The pregame, the festivities, unbelievable, incredible, probably one of the top pit sporting uh, events. I'm going to go ahead and say the top pit sporting event I've ever attended in my entire life. Why don't you guys take me through? Let's let's start from the very beginning. Thursday, 2 p.m., Gold Lot opens. And, and the true game begins. Yeah, that gate wasn't opening until 2 p.m. on the dot, but the, the North Shore was already full. It was just people, people who weren't in cars slowly matriculating into the lots and then all the cars waiting in line all the way down to East Ohio Street, pretty much. And it was buzzing. Everyone, There was a different type of buzz in the air. You could tell everyone felt that, that today's just a little bit different. And it was the most excited I've seen, uh, you know, 50,000 pit fans 
at that point. And then, well, depending on who you ask, it might have been like 25,000 pit fans, maybe even less than that. Who knows? But it was absolutely electric. Everyone was chomping at the bit to talk some shit and watch some football, drink some beer. Yeah, it was a long day on the North Shore. We got in our car. We were in line to get into the gold lot at 1 p.m. So by the time that hour passed, it was like, finally, we're in here. Now just five more hours till game time. And we had a blast tailgating. It was. Oh, we made the most of those five hours. It was the first tailgate in a while. We've been thinking about this one forever. Archie's wings, phenomenal. All the other little dishes, buff chick tip, all the other things we drafted last week were there. Wonderful day. We practiced but, um, what we preached. That's yeah. for certain. The tailgate lived up to the hype and then on to the game. Yeah, we um we we packed it up at about six o'clock uh after a very packed and sweaty event. Um it was a million degrees, and we were next to the only other super large tailgate in the lot, the fine gentlemen of uh, University of Pittsburgh Pike. Um, they were lovely listeners to the show, offered us to do a couple keg stands. Uh, I think we might have matriculated past whatever that line is for when you can do a handstand on a keg. I think we might have, uh, but a great time. Went into the game as early as possible. I actually have a have a fun tale about uh, trying to get into the game. Um, so uh, I was I was going in with my family, actually, and uh, and we're, we're waiting to get kind of wanded down and everything. And I just remember my mom saying that guy doesn't look so good. And then turning back around and instantly being warm and wet. Uh, yeah. Just this dude puked. All like, and when I say he puked on me, it's not like he puked on the ground and I took some spray. Like, like I was ground zero, directly, direct <laughs> mouth, mouth to polo, mouth to my back. Um, so obviously not how you want to start game day, um, and you know not what you want to sit in for four hours. Uh, but let me let me tell you do, do you think do you think i even thought about turning around and and going and and washing off somewhere or or watching the game from home or something i mean i hope not <laughs> right through the gate right through the gate and i i give the dude credit the guy who threw up on me i wasn't sure if he was a pit guy or a west virginia guy but we're going to say he was a hoopy just cuz it that feels better um this guy had the presence of mind to see the situation, look up, see the coverage, see security. And he booked it like took off through the gate because he knew that they were not going to let him in. If anybody like if when security was eventually alerted to what was going on, that he he was not getting in. So he took off, made it into the game. I respect it, but uh, we, we get through I'm covered. Um, one of the security guards offers me his shirt off of his back. And I was pretty stoked about it uh, because if he just handed me like his security shirt, like I get to keep that. That's a great story. But this guy, and he was, he was a big fella in the sun for a couple hours, takes off his security shirt, takes off his undershirt, completely shirtless, 
in the middle of Acrisure Stadium, hands me his undershirt, and I accepted this moist triple XL undershirt. And I was like, oh. this is really sweet of you, man, but uh I'm I'm, I'm just gonna wearing. go to the I'm gonna go to the pit <laughs> store. So uh I go to the bathroom, wipe off the chunks, go to the pit oh. store. $70 pit polo that is now one and oh and I find my seats because he would have had to chop off a couple limbs of mine to get in between me and watching the backyard brawl on Thursday could have done with a little less detail on that puke but I'm I'm glad you got a new shirt out my, my boy was eaten I'll, I'll just say that <laughs> I will say I told you earlier in the day that you needed to get rid of that polo because the gold on the pit logo was just completely faded. So it was basically a white and blue pit polo at that point. So I think that was just kind of meant to be. It really was. You, you called it, um, which is spoken into existence. You spoke it into existence. So like I said, now I have a new pit polo. It only cost $70 and uh, it is, it is one and oh. Wear it next week. That's what I'm getting out of this. <laughs> I, I simply am. I I don't know, but if we if we go down to Tennessee, someone's gonna have to throw up on me because we are men of superstition. Um but then you know, all that drama aside, and, and we get to the, the real drama of the game, gentlemen. Take it away. What 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 did you see? What did you hear? What happened? Did Pitt win? Yeah. MJ Devonshire made a play. Or so I've heard. Heard through the grapevine. That game was... It was pretty nerve-wracking the entire time. The first half... 10-10 at halftime, right? And I felt like Pitt really hasn't played well at all. And it's a tie game, and West Virginia is probably lucky to. On that last drive, they got three out of it, but it was also the same drive as JT Daniels getting hit and the ball popping straight up in the air. A receiver, Bryce Ward Weeman, being in between four pit defenders, and somehow it ends up in his hands. So that extended a drive. I was like, they've gotten lucky a couple times here. They got a lot Pitt, of breaks. Yeah, Pitt, Pitt hasn't looked sharp whatsoever. Dropped a dropped a deep ball, um, put put a ball on the ground. Like Pitt's not looking good. I think they're going to pull away in the third court, and then they just never did. And it was nerve wracking to say the least. I know. I think when we made all of our predictions, we all took Pitt by two scores. I know me deep down, towards the end, whenever you'd ask me, I'm like, you know what? It's a rivalry game. It'll probably be a one score game, but Pitt will pull away. Um. And I thought that was going to happen. Whenever Pitt went up 24-17, I think everyone settled down, took a deep breath, and thought our defense is going to settle in and it'll be like Wake Forest again, and we will just control the rest of the game. Uh, yeah, the opposite happened. It, it got to the point where I was sitting down thinking to myself, oh, my God, this podcast is going to suck so bad. We we're going to lose. <laughs> so Pitt... Did their thing. Keaton Slovis got the boys under control, marched down. MJ Devonshire, you know the drill. Uh, but, yeah, it looked grim. We were like one more three and out or one more first down given up away from 
basically being screwed. So yeah, it was like uh, the six and a half minute mark, seven minute mark, right before Neil Brown decided not to go for it on fourth and fourth and one. Mm-hmm. I was sitting there and the West Virginia fans started to get a little pep in their step because they were feeling it too. And I feel like the whole stadium felt like West Virginia controls this game right now. And I was just thinking in my head, walking out of here as a loser is going to be one of the worst things I've ever had to do. <laughs> walking out of that stadium, Absolutely. a loser with all the West, West Virginia fans chirping. I was just dreading it. I couldn't, I couldn't believe what, what we were witnessing. I got, it got to the point where I'm a pretty optimistic pit fan. I'm not one who will leave a game early or anything like that or count us out, especially with the talent we have. It was to the point where there are people in our section who are like, come on, get loud. It's not over. We can get this. We just need one stop. And I'm sitting there in the back of my head like, I don't know if we can do that. Just the way our offense has been playing, there was not a whole lot of rhythm until the very end. So I was very I was bracing myself for what was about to happen if we didn't pull I, that out. In hindsight, I was fortunate in that I don't think I was in a place mentally that I could fully grasp the situation Pitt was in. I remember an overwhelming sense of dread, and I remember turning to uh, my my brother-in-law and saying, like, oh, we're going to lose. But I don't think I realized until I rewatched the game uh, either time two or time three. Um, oh, they were literally inches and a, a overly conservative coaching decision away from just completely icing the game with about five minutes left. Um, so shout out to Neil Brown for being chicken shit. And uh, we, we were able to score. I think we, we had 14 points in about 40 seconds um, between that Izzy 30-ish yard touchdown reception where everyone on West Virginia forgot how to tackle and and completely gave up up on that play. I will never understand that. And then, uh, you know, MJ Devonshire's uh, uh, pit six, tip six. Have we decided uh, how that's going to be branded for the remainder of pit history? I mean, if we want to put it on a T-shirts, it probably has to be the tip six for uh, copyright purposes. I think pit six, pick six. I, I kind of like the flow of that. I, I think ultimately we'll be at the mercy of the the strip district merchants who put it on a million T-shirts and, and sell them that way. So, yeah, we need to get on that. <laughs> yeah, we, we're going to need to monetize that a little bit. Um, yeah, so that was that was the general of the game. Let's let's talk a couple specifics. What what did you guys see uh, specifically in this game that gave you worry, or you know, has you excited heading into Tennessee? Well, heading into North Shore against Tennessee next weekend. You want to start with the good news or the bad news? Let's start with the bad. Let's talk yeah. about yeah, yeah, yeah. And Let's feel good about this by the end of it. Yeah. I'll kick it off. I know our pit group chat, very anti-Signetti for a large portion of that game. <laughs> I mean, in their defense, what in the absolute fuck was he doing? Through, oh, I'm like, not disagreeing. I'm not disagreeing. I was a little confused, too. I still am confused as to why we did some of the things we did after seeing that our offensive line was kind of getting pushed around with an extra offensive lineman out there. I I don't like that formation. I like the thought of it, but it 
clearly wasn't a thing that was working. And I, things that were working were going in the shotgun and spreading the field out. So uh, I didn't get that. That was the, the big takeaway, the big alarm siren going off in my head as we left that game. Not even leaving the game. I felt like they started to figure it out near the end, but they started the game out just doing that. It was like power eye. We have one receiver out wide. It looked like a, yeah. a middle school offense. Like this right, did not Ryan Jacoby like- at uh, fullback. I'd like to apologize, David. I think I specifically said, I don't have the exact quote in front of you, but I said, Pitt is not going to turn into a Big Ten offense. We were a Big Ten offense for a while there. We had two odd receivers running. I don't know what they're running, but yeah, that's we we were watching an Iowa football game for like a couple minutes there. Well, we got first downs and we didn't get any safeties, so I won't go that far. I'll say we were Wisconsin. <laughs> that's that's better. Wisconsin is nothing but um, Iowa with a game plan on offense. <laughs> but that was that was just perplexing to me that this is the offense that we were supposed to be getting excited about this whole preseason was us just trotting out. I, I get using a fullback. Like that's great. I like it here. And but that looks like an offense just that Signetti started using like in the nineties and just never evolved. I admittedly haven't watched a ton of BC football to see what Signetti was calling for them last year, but there, I, I would like it to look a little more like an off a college football offense in the year of 2022 and not some throwback smash mouth smash mouth thing that they think they're gonna they're obviously not gonna be able to run the ball on everyone's throats because they couldn't do it for two quarters or whatever it was until Rodney Hammond came into the game. But that was just that was pretty alarming i was like is this our game plan to win the acc this year i just didn't like the predictability of it they'd bring out the extra lineman and they'd have a fullback out there most likely too with one or two receivers west virginia would just load the box collapse the line and there's nothing there it was play action we had some looks but it's a lot easier to cover two guys going out there as opposed to like mixing in some gavin martholomew targets I don't know. We have some pretty good receivers. I don't think we utilized them much until they'd scrapped it and went to the complete other end of the spectrum and go five wide. I, it was a lot of bouncing back and forth between five wide and power eye with really no rhyme or reason. It started to work, which is great, but I don't really know what the thought behind doing any of that was. If we're just like throwing darts at a dartboard and seeing what we're going to do that drive. Yeah, I was I was a little perplexed by by what Signetti was doing there. Um and and you know, they they say if you you know, anything is a good idea if you execute, but I, I don't think we anticipated getting bullied in the trenches like that on offense and defense a little bit. I mean, defensively, we we got to JT Daniels three times and we did we did hurry him a lot. There were it just didn't feel like that because we would hit him. There were two or three times where he got hit and just let a duck float into the heavens. And somehow there was an open West Virginia receiver underneath it to accept it. Um, But, you know, they did get to him a little bit. Run defense was bad too. 
that was bad. Yeah. I was not expecting us to look in the trenches the way that we looked against West Virginia on both sides of the ball. Yeah, CJ Donaldson is a man among boys out there. I don't know where he came from, but whoever decided to move him to running back should probably get a raise. Um, yeah, that freshman, was, a freshman tight end comes in and goes seven carries for 125 yards. That's I, I can't imagine Narduzzi slept very well on Thursday night. Yeah, he was pretty pissed off in his post-game press conference talking about that. Um, I know you said the defensive line, we didn't get a whole lot of sacks. On the rewatch, I did notice we got more pressure, so I was a little bit yeah. at ease about that. I can't see on in there. He was disruptive, even though the the box score didn't show that. But, yeah, the run defense overall, too many mistakes. I don't know. I, I guess it was a little bit of everybody, D-line, linebackers, just not being in the right place at the right time, and uh, that was I will, trouble. I will say, I, I will give Pat Narduzzi the benefit of the doubt that he will figure out the run defense. Yeah. Uh, he's done it at a very high level for a long time. First game of the season, I think he's going to watch the film, clean some things up, maybe bench some guys, maybe put some other guys in there or just get them in the right spots. But I'm my alarm level isn't nearly as high. I'm glad it happened early in the year and they have some things that they can clean up. But I'm going to I'm going to give Narduzzi the benefit of the doubt there and think that he'll clean it up for this week. But I, it was definitely disappointing because that's the one thing that Narduzzi teams definitely hang their hat on is run defense. You're not going to be right. able to run the ball if you throw the ball all over the field, beat us that way, so be it. But that's not really what happened. Um, on the flip side of that, the secondary and the defensive backs, I thought, played really well. Obviously, there were a couple of yeah. you know, great plays by uh, Ford Wheaton, those, those back shoulder plays in the end zone. But for the most part, there was one PI call throughout the game. There was a lot of plays where there was just, you know, JT Daniels throwing these deep balls and these the receivers had nowhere to go. So great job. That was one of the X factors for us coming into the year. I just said, you know, how those corners perform. But uh, Devonshire Woods and Marquez Williams all looked really good on Thursday. Yeah, I uh, even even before he, he pulled off his heroics with, you know, three minutes left. Uh, MJ Devonshire was sticking to his man tight. There were he forced a lot of incompletions where you couldn't have, you know, slid a business card between him and the man that he was covering. He was he was on it. He was playing physical without crossing a line. And uh, I mean, he, he looked great. A lot of the secondary looked great. Hallett made some open field tackles, and Brandon Hill is as advertised. I think that's what it came down to. Uh, it was one of our X factors when we talked about it last week. It's which cornerbacks will step up because there are a lot of guys who could be good, but we just don't know how consistent they can be. Uh, Williams, I don't remember him being targeted much at all other than like that uh, play got tripped up a guy, passing interference to the end. Other than that, I don't know if they tested him much at all. Devin Shower, very solid. Um, Woods gave him a touchdown, but I think he – Played well other than that at times. Um, so hopefully Devonshire is that solid number two guy. Yeah, it would be it would be great if, you know, one week into the season, we just kind of figured out who that guy is going to be. And I think it might be him. 
Well, it looks like we've already started to dip into the uh, positives that we saw at the game, uh, but I, I kind of wanted to officially transition with by talking about a player um, that I think showed the highest highs and the lowest lows in his performance on Thursday night. And that is our new quarterback, Keaton Slovis. I feel like Slovis has had a polarizing performance. I've seen people who want to play Nick Patty against Tennessee. And I've seen people saying he's going to be leaving after this year for the NFL draft. So I lean towards Slovis was good. I thought Slovis looked really good especially near the end of the game when they started to let him just sling, sling it. Uh, Mumfield seemed to be his top go-to target when things got tight. And I really think that he showed flashes of what he was as a freshman at USC. Yeah. I don't – I think early in the game, the struggles, I think we can attribute that to what we talked about with Signetti's offense was – Everything was really predictable. He's throwing these play action routes out of, you know, he has two receivers out there. If they're both covered, what's he going to do? He has to try to figure out, make something happen. So I think when they ran a offense that looked like it's, it was developed for a 2022 college football team, he looked really good and made some really high level throws. Yeah. If you're listening to this show, I, I assume you've seen the graphic where um, bet- breaking down Slovis under center in, in shotgun uh, under center, we ran like 24 plays for 80 yards and out of shotgun. It was like 20 for 280 and Slovis was what eight for eight at one point with 90 yards and a touchdown out of the shotgun. So um, I, I have faith in Signetti to ch- make adjustments and and this is this is a big trust for me this means a lot because i have had no faith in our previous offensive coordinators to make adjustments when something isn't working sean watson couldn't do it the first two years of uh mark whipple it was he just kept banging his head on the wall and and figuring at some point he would break through and be able to walk through it, you know, but it it never happened. And last year he didn't have to make a lot of adjustments because nobody was stopping Kenny at any point the entire season. Um, But Signetti's whole thing. And the thing people say about him is he is really great at figuring out the strengths of each individual player on his offense and of, of the scheme overall and riding them. And, you know, that's why, uh, Dorn Dickerson had a had a big, you know, huge year for him. Uh, Deion Lewis was the running back at the time that he just kept feeding because he was incredible. Uh, and the implication of, you know, finding strengths and and catering to them is that you are willing to adapt. So I think he, I, I have faith he's going to see um, the, you know, what what was successful and what wasn't. Uh, and, and ride with them against Tennessee. Um, and, and one of those things I would, I would really like uh, is if he could take Slovis through some pocket awareness drills uh, for the next week and kind of drill that into him and, and, you know, make those adjustments. Cause Oh boy, did I get a, did I get flashes of Tino Sinceri? Ouch. I felt like that, the, 
it was like the second to last offensive drive when we had to punt it back to West Virginia when we ended up in a third and 30 after he took two straight sacks. I, I'm not as worried. I do think they're, he has to get a little bit better with just making quicker decisions and getting rid of the ball a little quicker. But I think at that point in the game, it was like, we really don't want to have to punt the ball back. So I, I have to try to make something happen. I right. thought that was more of the case at, at the end of the game. Uh, with that, he had a really nice play in the first half where drops back, no one, nothing's there, takes off to the right side, picks up I think about 14 yards in a first down. I was I was really pleasantly surprised with with his wheels on that one, but I I agree, you know, taking five sacks is less than optimal, and a couple of them probably avoidable. But at the same time, I think it was more so about. I'm trying to extend this play and make, make something happen, give my receivers some more time to get open, more so than I'm just a, a panicky quarterback who, who can't yeah. sense it around me. Yeah, I think the two biggest uh, red flags, if you even want to say that, are things to correct for Slovis are, you said the decisiveness, a couple sacks, but I think there's still a couple times early in the game. I don't know if it was jitters or uh, I don't know. He just wasn't uh, see it and throw right away. There was a, a couple plays where I saw Gavin Bartholomew open over the middle and he didn't throw it, ended up having to take a sack or throw it away. So I don't think he was pulling the trigger as quick as he could have. And I think part of the reason was, I think he was asked about that specifically. uh, And Pat Narduzzi said that the quarterbacks haven't been touched all camp. They'd blow the whistle if a DN was close, but they give the offense the benefit of the doubt. They'll let Slovis uh, extend a play, step up in the pocket, another step or two, even if like John Morgan's like grazing his back and probably could have had a sack. So maybe he has a little bit like the clock in his head isn't as quick as it needs to be. I think that's easily correctable. And then there were a few like deep shots that he just missed, um, but he did show that he could make those throws or some deep out routes to Montfield that were impressive, like NFL caliber throws. The one that means not perfect, but definitely could have been a touchdown. So I mean, it, it hit both of his hands, and we yeah. we will get to Bub Means at some point, I think. Uh, but um, to, to maintain focus on Slovis, when the ball left his hand, he was great. I think he threw the ball 24 times, and he only had like three bad passes. And I think one of one of the ones I'm thinking of was intentional, where he sailed Jared Wayne, uh, and I because I think a guy was closing in on him, but I I really can count on three fingers the number of like bad passes he had. And two of them resulted in incompletions. He didn't throw a pick. Uh, one was a missed deep ball to Kanate Mumfield that uh, I think could have been six, but he he threw it a little bit further vertically. And I think he should have he tried to lead him vertically when he should have led him horizontally on like a crossing route. Um, no, throw, when he throws the ball, it it is good. That that kid has arm talent. Mm-hmm. And even back, I watched a lot of Keaton Slovis USC highlights just because what else would I do with my life? And in those highlights, he's moving really well in the pocket. There's some times where he's, he looks like Peyton Manning, like stepping up, finding the holes and making throws quickly. Uh, I didn't see that crispness in the pocket Saturday or Thursday. Sorry. Uh, but I think, like we said, it's pretty easily correctable. It's not like a huge worry. I think. Slovis will be the least of our worries going forward. Yeah, especially because uh, 
my guy has some dogs in his receiving room. I, I mean, our, our wide receivers were open every single play. They were, they were not getting covered. Mom, yeah, Kanani Mumfield's the real deal. I think that's what yeah, you're going to say. He as advertised. Every, every route he run was so crisp, and he's creating so much separation. I think that was one of the first things we heard when he decided to transfer was him and Smith and Jigba were the two receivers that created the most consistent separation when running routes last year. Not bad company to hold. No. Um, and he proved that there were so many times where he was just wide open. And honestly, it felt like Slovis might have hit him a little late on some of those routes. But he he looked really good. Jared Wayne, as always. Hit that man the ball. Big plays. Get him the ball. I'd like to see him to get targeted a little bit more. Yeah. But th- those two especially. Bub means he had some had some early hiccups. That's that's a kind way to put it. Um uh a drop touchdown, a fumble on a play where he is making I mean he had one man to beat uh on that play where he fumbled. He somehow split three defenders and we we saw some athleticism there that that should be exciting. If you stop the play, you know, five seconds in, you're you're you like what you see. It's a highlight. Um and then just just drop the ball, and then uh, and then what I, I think was a little bit hard to notice, Jared Wayne uh, should have been eighty eight and out the gate on that slant across the middle, but Bub Means had two guys he could have possibly you know blocked to to spring him, and absolutely unequivocally picked the wrong guy. Uh, it, it, all he had he had to breathe on the defender that was chasing Jared Wayne and Wayne scores. And and we only got down to about the three and eventually punched it in, but still. But Bob made up for it. He sprung that big block on the Hammond swing pass. So uh, we saw both ends of the spectrum with Bob means and hopefully we see more of those good flashes because I think he can be a splash player. I think, I think it's promising. Bob means makes a couple of mistakes in the first half and you know, after the fumble, I thought it was really interesting. Pick immediately gets the ball back on the on the Eric Hallett fumble uh-huh. recovery, and Signetti immediately runs uh, end around or you know a little jet sweep to Bub Mains, and I I like that. You know, put the confidence in him, let him know we're not going to go away from you. Obviously, would have liked to see him catch that touchdown. Obviously, would have liked to make him make the right block in the Jared Wayne play. But instead of pouting or getting down or compounding mistakes, he goes and springs that block for Rodney Hammond. There was also a catch, a little underrated, but it was on that last drive of the game. Uh, they went 92 yards where he was pretty covered. Like He does not look like an open receiver, and Slovis trusted him to make a play, and Bub just holds the guy off. Goes and attacks the ball, makes the catch, and gets the first down. So yeah, he went up and got the the one where he kind of went up and got it. It was right on the going towards the sideline, going towards the six. They got the first down, yep. uh, little out route. So it there's definitely talent there. You can see that he's going to be good, uh, and he can do a lot of good things for us. It's, uh-huh. it's not hard to see his potential. So I, the receivers looked really good. Jaden Bradley, I think, had one catch over the middle. showed showed a little burst on that play. I would like to see Jalen Bargain get involved as well, but you know we only had 16 completions, 16 for 24. So when that's how many balls are being tossed around, there's there's not a lot of targets to go around. So let let Keen throw it a little more. 
let these guys get a little more comfortable. And I, I think Pitt has a chance to have a really exciting passing attack. They could be they could be very explosive this year. Uh, there were four or five plays that could have been 60 plus yard touchdowns and for one reason or another weren't uh, a lot of them did result in a lot of yardage um, Rodney Hammond on his long reception that that bub springed he stumbled at about the 10 otherwise he was cutting across the field and scoring uh, Jared Wayne's long play Kanate Mumfield if Slovis could have hit him horizontally coming across probably beats his guy and scores uh, you know the play bub means fumbled that could have been a long one. Uh, and then the one he subsequently dropped that I think Slovis put right in the bread basket, the long ball, uh, that could have been a touchdown as well. So that there's some for, for an offense that so desperately wants to uh, look like Iowa or Wisconsin, there is a lot of explosive, you know, material there. Yeah, it comes down to the guys getting open. So you can just hang your hat on that. They weren't connected. Those deep balls weren't connected on the, for whatever reason, like you just mentioned, but the receivers are open. So those opportunities will be there. Hopefully we'll get more of those capitalize on them, but there is potential. Question for you guys uh, before we move on. And I guess it doesn't matter anymore because now that we are done with them, they are dead to us. What did you make of JT Daniels? Because I'm still not sure if I think he's like legit and a gamer or just a guy who sucks and got lucky a couple times. I thought it was pretty good. He played well. Um, I don't think his stat line was very impressive. Obviously, that interception shouldn't have been on that stat sheet, but it happened. You can't take it away. It happened. I will remember that forever. But I thought it was pretty good. He made some nice throws. Um, I don't think he was he's going to live up to the hype that some people had for him. But I think the team around him is a lot better than what people gave him credit for. I think they gave too much credit to Daniels, not enough to everyone else in the field. Because I think they can be a tough team to face in the Big 12. I, I wasn't overly impressed by Daniels, but I also, he didn't really make many mistakes. And he gave his playmakers chances to make plays. And like, like Squid said, if you have a pretty good set of playmakers around you, if you can just put the ball up there and let, let Bryce Ford Wheat and go make a play, despite all this, all the crap he's going to get about dropping that ball at the end of the game. I mean, it's a huge mistake and can't take it back. He dominated the pit defense for three and a half, three and three quarters, quarters of that game. So I feel as bad for Bryce Ford Wheaton as I possibly could for a West Virginia representative. Uh, and th- that's, that's very, that's a very low bar mind yeah. you, but like he kept them in that game the entire way. And then made, I mean, if you throw that ball to him a million times, he catches it 999,999 times. Hit him in the hands, fell right to MJ Devonshire, who streaked across the field like a lightning bolt sent from the heavens, sent from God into the 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 raucous ocean of royal blue in the student section and winning us that game. Holy shit, that was cool. Um, 
I mean, and, and he is going to get dogged for that for a long time. We we already we we caught a bunch of uh, West Virginia media members deleting tweets about you know that young man, but the, I mean the way he has to feel still today, I I can't I can't fathom it. Tough squash. <laughs> wouldn't be me yeah i think west virginia might be a little bit better than we gave them credit for especially along both the offensive and defensive lines uh stills kind of the real deal but that's kind of good but we we don't really have to spend any more time talking about west virginia we beat them no. they stink we beat them they stink you are on one we're one or no fine so and it was a long, long drive back to Morgantown. Yeah, 76 miles, 79 miles, whatever it is. I feel bad for the ones that dressed up like Mountaineers. That's got to be embarrassing. Sitting in their cars in dead silence with their Davy Crockett raccoon hats on. Just stewing. And I'm pretty sure 79 was backed up to all hell because of an accident. So sorry about that one. Do we have to go to Morgantown next year? I'll be there. I'm kind of terrified to go there. I'm not looking forward to it, but I feel like we have to do it. Yeah, but that's that's not going to be an overnight trip. Like that is going to be a arrive in time to have a couple beers, like on the back of Tug's pickup truck, go into the game, get out of the game, and book it home. Get in, get out. It's going to be a business trip. Hopefully not that close. Please win in 2023. It looks like a bull market in the Loyal Sun Stock Exchange as the Panthers were able to win their first game uh, despite a couple hiccups. Uh, throughout. Um, So I I think it's time for us to evaluate our portfolios, uh, see who we want to buy and sell on and, and hopefully get a little bit rich uh, next week at three 30 in Heinz field. What do you guys think? I'm okay with getting rich. I think Dylan's uh, got a giant stack of money behind him because he's uh, all over Rodney Hammond last week. Yeah, my I'm in the green after Rodney Hammond's performance. Can we say he was the best player for Pitt on Thursday? Offensive, I'll give you that. Yeah, offensive MVP. John Morgan probably the defensive MVP. Both number sixes just absolutely balling out. Well, let's let's not steal anyone's pick because we if if you came here for John Morgan today you are gonna get plenty of John Morgan I can promise you that uh but yeah Dylan you you were all in on Rodney Hammond who had something like 15 16 touches for 120 yards and, and two touchdowns and really was 129 the, yards don't tell him short I would never uh except for right there when I I did it just a second ago but he was he was the real lightning rod. Uh, I feel like the game changed when he started to uh, see the field a little bit more. Um, but I, Dylan, I I won't take away from your bragging. Please go right ahead. 
think I think the exact verbiage I used was he will be the number one back at some point this season. I didn't think he was going to be by the second quarter of the first game, but it sure looks like he was the guy that made the offense go. There really wasn't much of anything going with Izzy, and I don't want to put that blame completely on Izzy. I don't think that's what it was. He was getting hit two yards deep in the backfield because the O-line was getting their heads pushed in. But Rodney Hammond, there's just something about when he's in the game. He never gets pushed backwards. He never settles after getting hit first by the first tackler. He's always driving forward, and there's just something something about his running style. I said it since the beginning with him. He's the truest running back on the team. He looks the most like a running back, his running style. Izzy is the athletic freak who's 220 and runs a 4-4. But Rodney Hammond just knows how to play some damn football. And I'm really excited about what we have for him this year. And it's unfortunate that he's probably going to miss the game uh, against Tennessee on Saturday. Yeah, very, very unfortunate uh, indeed. But uh, we'll, we'll, luckily there's a a pretty deep running back room there and we'll, we'll touch on that more in our our preview for Tennessee, but uh, definitely not not good news, but uh, you, you've already turned a profit on Rodney Hammond. Will you be reallocating those funds on any other players that you really liked uh, on Thursday? Not so much a guy I like, but I'm going to buy low and sell high, obviously. So that's how you make money in, in this market. Gavin Bartholomew, he had one catch, only two targets. I think he was a contributed for, and one of them was pretty much a throwaway by Slovis. I'm buying stock and Bartholomew now because he was a freshman All-American last year. He is a guy who we definitely think can be an All-ACC tight end, and he really wasn't involved too much in in the offense in in game one. Was some of that due to injuries or an infection in Carter Johnson in the tight end room, and they weren't able to use tight ends, two tight ends how they wanted to? Bart had to maybe sit back and block a little more. I think we'll definitely see more of him in week two against Tennessee. And, and I'm still all in on Bart. Yeah. Uh, the word out of pit camp was that with Carter Johnson in the hospital, he is now out. Hope Carter, hope you're feeling better uh, that they did not want to overutilize Gavin Bartholomew. So he didn't get a lot of targets and they pulled him a lot to throw an extra tackle in uh, when they knew they were going to run the ball. So that, I'm hoping and praying and wishing is the explanation for why they just threw elephant packages out there every first and second down. Um, And that that's why Signetti's offense looked terrible sometimes and predictable. Uh, But I hope that I hope that a banged up backup tight end doesn't completely ravage Pitt's offensive game plan, because if that's the case going forward, then. We're in for a long season. <laughs> a number two tight end shouldn't have that much impact on how, how you play the game. So we'll see. Yeah, fingers crossed. Uh, what about you, Squid? Who, who are you buying? So similar to Dylan, uh, I'm going to buy low on a player who has very much home run potential. Uh, Izzy Abanacanda. Uh, like we said, Ronnie Hammond might be out. He might be out for a few weeks. Uh, they're that was not Izzy's best game. It might have been his worst game. And you can say maybe he wasn't reading 
the holes right. Maybe the offensive line wasn't giving him any holes. Uh, I think it was a little bit of both. They both could have been a little bit better. He still showed that flash on the catch he caught. The catch, the pass he caught, took to the house. <laughs> you get it. We all saw it. And uh, I think he's going to bounce back. I think we'll get the run game to sort out a little bit because um, I think he's even the top dog by a wide margin. I know Sebo didn't look too hot. Davis didn't get any carries. I think they like Dan Carter as a fullback. So, Ronnie, or is he? Time to be the bell cow with Hammond out. Yeah. I'd also a- like to just put money on John Morgan. I know he's already quickly. No, 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 no. You, you do not get two, especially when that second one was going to be the one that I take. Fair enough. Dig. You buy. You know- you- Buy in on John Morgan at his at his highest point. Well, it's not the highest. Well, it's still still growing. Why didn't, you bu- why didn't you buy him before the season? Where was your faith before this? Oh no 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 no! I I had faith <laughs> in him. I I took Carter Warren, which I I don't know how I feel. I didn't get to break down the his specific tape, um, but he was on on an, on an offensive line unit that kind of got pushed around. Uh, so I I don't know. How, I'm I'm gonna sit on it. Um, I don't know how I feel about it, but I I've always been on John Morgan. I it all right. It's my turn now. I'm taking John Morgan because this is just the beginning of his profile exploding. Um, the director of the senior bowl tweeted out about how, Hey, this kid wasn't on our radar, but now he is. Um, and with Deslin Alexander possibly banged up, this is going to be a huge opportunity for John Morgan to show exactly who he is, uh, back up all that shit he's been talking uh, on on the Twitter.com. Uh, I'm I'm big, big on uh, on John Morgan. Yeah, some might say you're a little late because he already took off and had a great game. He was our best player on defense, probably. Uh, but I would disagree. I would say he is still on the rise. He is going to continue to rise and, like you said, be on more than just pit fans' radars. I saw I saw one of the NFL drafts analysts uh, put up a John Morgan clip, say he's kind of in the mold of that old Steelers outside linebacker, 270-pound uh, outside linebacker, edge rusher. And I'm just imagining John Morgan in the black and gold and that James Harrison Lamar Woodley role and getting goosebumps. So we'll, we'll see how the rest of the season plays out, but yeah, he balled out on Thursday and that's just, that's just a testament to how good Pitt's defensive line is, is that he isn't technically a starter. They have four starters. So let's be yeah. real about that. There's four starters at the end, but technically not number one on the, on the two deep. And that just shows how, ridiculous that defensive line room is so these are some pretty smart investments for us so far uh is there anyone else that you guys are considering you know sprinkling a couple bucks on uh before we get into uh our cells i would consider buying bub mean stock still i'm not just saying that because he was my pick week one but i think like we just talked about earlier um, people might not be super high on him because of those two big mistakes. But aside from that, he looked pretty solid and is showing some flashes. So I think that could be a, a buy low. And like after next week, who knows, maybe he has 
three catches for 80 yards and a touchdown. I think that's very possible. He's going to be involved in the offense. I'm just going to buy Jared Wayne stock every single week. It's like a, it's like an index fund. At the end of the, eventually, you're going to make money off it. It's always going to go up. Going to be a steady investment. Safe, you know, not going to get rich off it. Not going to retire. 2.5%, you know. Exactly. It just, just keep tossing money. Every week, I'll, I'll take some Jared Wayne. Put it on a recurring investment. I throw some on uh, Kanate Mumfield. I think we're all high on him. I think his profile is is definitely rising, but, uh, you know, he had like five for 70 something. He looked like when they, when they finally decide to feature him, he looked like a 10 catch 130 yard and two touchdown guy. Like that is, I, I see similarly with him, what I, what we saw towards the end of 2020 and into early 2021 with, uh, a wide receiver who shall not be named uh, where like he, you know, his numbers were, were very good, you know, six catches, 60, 70 yards, whatever. But you got the sense that the second they start going out of their way to feed him, he's going to put up stupid numbers. So I'm, I'm still getting it on Mumfield before I get priced out. All right. Uh, is there anyone you guys want to sell at this particular time? So I was thinking about maybe selling a little bit of that Rodney Hammond stock, make a little bit of a profit, and solely because right now he's damaged goods. He, the word is that he's, he's banged up. I originally thought it was from that targeting. I thought it was going to be a head injury, maybe a concussion right. out a week or two. But someone posted a pretty nasty screenshot of he actually rolled his ankle pretty badly on that play. And after rewatching the play, he goes down and grabs his ankle. So, um, if it's a, if it's something like an ankle sprain, a high ankle sprain, those don't heal very easily. So, what what's going to happen here is I'll sell a little bit profit. I'm still going to hold some Rodney Hammond stock. Right. But it's going to go down. People are going to forget about him for a couple weeks. People are going to Izzy's going to blow up. These other running backs are going to get going, and then oh, we're going to get to unleash Rodney Hammond on the ACC once he's 100% healthy again, and mm. I'm right back in. That's my that's Absolutely. my best strategy here. I'm holding my bum main stock. I, I know where it can take me. Not panicking. Is there anyone you, you, if you had a little bit on, you would be selling it right now? I mean, maybe the offensive line. Uh, if I did... Yeah. I don't know. I like you said earlier, Carter Warren. You, we didn't watch the offensive line film. I don't know what the problems were. Whether there's matchups or one person in particular didn't look as good as the others. Um, that was not. That was not a good performance for the O line. I know they're expecting a lot more out of themselves. Um, so it worries me a little bit. I I feel that. Uh... Don't don't know how to approach that one. A little bit concerned. Uh, it's definitely something I think a lot of eyeballs are going to be on against Tennessee. Um, I'm going to be selling uh, Rashad Battle. Um, it, it seemed you like you don't have you don't have any Rashad Battle stock. So. I I very quietly invested a little bit. You don't know what I have, uh, but if I if I did have some, I. Uh, 
the combination of MJ Devonshire looking unbelievable. And, um, and again, I, I didn't watch the all 22. He could have stuck to his guy like duct tape, you know, 99% of the plays. Uh, and he, he did have a couple good ones, you know, a couple pass breakups and tackles that I liked. Um, but it felt like he was getting beat by Ford Wheaton a bit. Every time there was a uh, big play, you know, he seemed to be trailing it. Uh, so the, the combination of those two factors, um, he'll have a, he'll have an opportunity against a really fast paced team in Tennessee next week. But, uh, you know, the combination of getting beat for a couple big plays and the guy that you are battling with position wise, um, having the greatest game of his career, probably not great. We'll see. I don't, I don't anticipate him losing a ton of snaps because exactly what you said about Tennessee is we're going to need all, all four of those corners to play. I definitely think he's the fourth man in that rotation because when Narduzzi talks about them, he says, we feel like we have three starting corners, but he's definitely that fourth guy and they're going to need him. So yeah, absolutely. I, I, I'm hoping that, you know, he's a guy who's been moved around a lot of pit. They, they had him come in, I believe, as a corner, and then they moved him to safety, and then they were trying him out at linebacker, and now he's back to corner. And it's it's a guy who really hasn't found a position, but it's a guy you get excited about because he's six foot three and he's physically imposing. He's a guy who right. obviously is athletic enough to where they thought he could play multiple different positions on this defense, and ultimately they're settling on him at cornerback, which is intriguing and scary at the same time with how this defense plays. So I'm, I'm hoping, hoping he steps back up. Hopefully he makes you eat your words on this one. I'd love for him to, and I I have faith he can. It's just the the combination of those two factors. Not great. Um, There's also one that I'm, I'm not selling. I'm not, not buying more on, um, but I, I am on alert about, uh, and that is our guy, Bengali Kamara. Uh, he led the team in tackles, but it felt like every time West Virginia broke a long run, uh, I saw him having to change direction very last second, uh, you know, being an arm's length away from uh, Donaldson as he broke through a hole and having to chase him down, which to my untrained eye looked like, you know, potentially being the result of being out of position or, you know, filling in the wrong gap or something. Uh, but, you know, for as high as we were sold on him coming in, and I know this will take some time uh, and that he is, you know, a raw athlete and just, it's a matter of, you know, making some, some tweaks and making sure he knows where he is. Uh, but just a little, little air of caution that I, I Bando am now feeling. He'll, he'll, he'll figure it out. It's just it first first full time game as a starter in that defense. Kind of a kind of a weird weird position to be in with all the hype he's gained without really playing much football for Pitt. Right. I he'll figure it out. I I know he's he's all business and I I agree with you. I was like uh, I don't just watching the condensed game once again. I'm not breaking down tape. I don't know the technique. I don't know what their keys are that they're reading. I was like, ah, it looks like he might be out of position here and there. And then I also saw at the end of the game when I checked the box score that he led the team in tackles. So I'm going to leave that to the coaching staff. We'll see 
you know, does he play more this week? Does he play a little less? Those guys, those linebackers didn't really rotate too much. I saw Solomon no. Shields coming in um, here and there, but I think Voss played just about every snap. Shane right. Simon played almost every snap. So he looked really good. Shane yeah, Simon, so, I thought, looked great. He had a he had multiple pass breakups. He was great in coverage. Yeah. So we'll see. I, I, once again, I think Dude's going to clean up the run defense, and things uh, will look a little a little more crisp this week. Please. Please welcome on to the show, coming off the performance of a lifetime in the backyard brawl, with one, should have been two sacks, three tackles for loss, four total tackles, a forced fumble, defensive end, John Morgan III. John, how you doing today? I'm doing good, man. Blessed and highly flavored to have a, playing a game like that. I mean, it was, it's a dream come true, man. It doesn't get no better than that. So did the brawl live up to the hype? Oh yeah, 1,000%, man. I mean, like I said in my interview after the game, I mean, coming out, the tunnel doing thunderstruck. I mean, you see the entire Panther pit losing their entire minds. It was it was surreal, man. I I got goosebumps coming through the locker room. I, I pretty much I'm pretty sure I I'm pretty sure I cried on the sideline before the game. Which is <laughs> it was so much emotion running through my system. I really couldn't do anything. I I mean that's my personal thing. Like if, if it's so much, I I shed tears because I really don't know how to express my emotion. People think I'm sad before the game. I'm just I'm just excited. I'm ready to play, but. I mean, definitely, definitely little to the hype for sure. I mean, that's what college football is all about. You had the flyover, you had the rivalry, first game of the year, national TV, Thursday yep. night. Don't get and no then, better uh, than that. An eventful game, I'd say. Don't get no better than that. Where sure. does where does that rank in terms of atmospheres you've played in in your life? Um, I probably say it's, it's def- I probably say it's number one at this point. You know, I mean, the AC championship was definitely up there. I mean, seeing all those people in, in Charlotte was definitely a surreal moment. Um. Playing at Tennessee, just at an away stadium, you know, in SEC, which is definitely always is a crazy having a hundred thousand there, they're screaming, they they saying all types of crazy stuff too, because they hate they hate your guts regardless if you played them for the first time or who knows how long, but they they just don't like you. But I mean, playing at home in that stadium, knowing the build up, the magnitude behind that game, having so many former players there. Stars like Kyler Murray, James Conner, all types of people coming to watch that game. I mean, it gets no better than that, man. It's really it's really surreal. So the lead-up to the game was something. What are the 48 hours after the best game of your career like? Have have you just been showered in high fives and free food? I mean, uh, no no free food, but I mean, I... I should have made something before you came <laughs> over. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you're good, you're good. But I mean, it's been, a, it's been a lot of congratulations. You know, I've been, I've been getting phone calls for the last couple of days just telling me how great I was, uh, how great I played. I mean, it's, it's, definitely, it's definitely something you... You you can't get enough of you know what I mean I appreciate everybody that that's DM me or twit on Twitter Instagram call me on the phone telling me congratulations stuff like that I mean I I take I take it with a grain of salt you know what I mean it's just something that I've always dreamed of you know what I'm saying being that guy to make those big plays in the game in a game like that and I mean I appreciate every one of I mean but I mean that, that game's in the past now I'm, I'm moving on onto the next game I've always have opportunity to go back and watch the film and look at it back again to see what I did and I'm, I'm looking forward to making new plays on, on Saturday. So we're recording this on Monday, so it's been a few days yep. since the backyard brawl. What have you actually done? You said you watched the game film like four times, yep. a little bit of Tennessee film, but how have you spent your off days? Um, honestly, I mean, really it's just me going to take care of my body. You know, I went to do cryotherapy, uh, went to get a massage and stuff like that. I mean, just trying to get my body back in shape, getting ready for a big a big game versus Tennessee that's coming up on Saturday. So that's really that's how I really most times spend my off days. I mean, my family came up. We'll probably go out to get some breakfast and stuff on down in the uh, 
in the North Shore. Probably, I think actually we ended up going to uh, the Lucas down there. Oh. Um, so that was that was definitely a good one. I, I had one of the they had. I mean, that's probably honestly probably one of the, the biggest breakfasts I've ever seen in my. They have like plates, fresh toast, the size of your head. It was absolutely ridiculous. I don't know how people are gonna go in there eating there on a daily basis and not have any type of heartburn or anything like that. <laughs> absolutely, cr- the omelet was the size of the table, so that was crazy. But I mean, that's really how some off days when my family comes up, we go out to eat. I, I set up a massage appointments, crowd therapy appointments, just get my body right, just get ready for the next upcoming week. Was it tough now moving on, closing that chapter of West Virginia? On to Tennessee, like never I mean, happened. Uh, I mean, yes, yeah, it's, it's always tough because I mean, you've been I've, we've been thinking about that game since. December after the Peach Bowl, you know, once once we found out that we were playing that magnitude of a game, I mean, you got you've been doing your research all the way since, like I said, last December. And I mean, it's hard it's hard to close a rivalry game like that just because of the, like I said, the magnitude of the game, understanding what it meant to so many people that played uh, before and stuff like that. So I mean, it's it's definitely hard, but it's, it's necessary. I mean, you can't dwell on the past. You got to move on because that's how teams get caught. You, you have a big win one day, and then you think you just try to coast into the next week, and that's how you lose. So. We try to come in on Sundays. We watch our film, and we we call it. Of course, Pete calls it flushing down the toilet, man. You can always go back and watch the film at the end of the season once you hold up your trophy. You can go back and watch your highlights later. But right now, we want to Tennessee. You can rewatch the game when you have like grandkids yeah, over. Exactly, and you're yeah. riding yeah. into the sunset. Exactly. I, I imagine you're going to be burning that one onto a DVD or whatever we're using <laughs> in like yeah. 30 years. Right, exactly. And and hang on to that one. Um, so we we do have Tennessee coming up, and we have. A little bit more preparation than usual, yep. playing a Thursday game. They play it on Saturday. So, what, 10 days between yep. games? Mm-hmm. Uh, what what kind of extra preparation does that time afford you guys? Like, what are you going to be able to do this week that you wouldn't have been able to accomplish in your average seven-day, you know, game separation? Um, so, most of the time, I mean, it just gives us most time as more time as a, as a defense, just defensive line or as defensive whole in general. We can actually come in and watch them as a whole that we really couldn't do. Just based on those those extra days that we have off, you know, like I said, um, I was able to go in and watch watch the extra film that we really don't get the time off. Understand, we had a Thursday game, so that Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and t- and today, honestly, that's that's four extra days of film that we can get ahead as a defense, as a defensive line, just to try to be ten times ahead of, of Tennessee. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it, it was it's kind of worked in our favor. It's a blessing. We got a big win on Thursday and get those two to three days off that we can now put into Tennessee and have a three or four days extra ahead of them where they're coming in after a Saturday game. So, I mean, it's mm-hmm. definitely a blessing. So, you talked about your performance. What did Coach Partridge think of the D-line as a whole? What was the the feedback he got? Um, I mean, definitely he felt – I mean, Coach Partridge always tells us – Coach Partridge say he, he's not he's not trying to be our friend, man. He's, like, he's our coach. So, he's, it's mm-hmm. always – in his eyes, I mean – we can always we can always be better, which is always what you wanted to coach, man. You don't ever want a coach to come up to you and tell you how good your game was and stuff like that. You want a coach to tell you, I think you could have did this, that, and the third to make those those extra plays that could have changed the game. And I mean that's what it's always been with Coach P, you know. He came in and set us straight. I mean he said he personally felt like we weren't as dominant as we, we've been in the past and I mean and we took that to heart so now we have to implode that on, 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 on Saturday. I mean that's one of the things that we, we love from Coach P to let us know how we really played and never giving us the sugar coat thing for him. So, uh, what what specifically do you think the defense needs to uh, improve between today and Tuesday in order to beat Tennessee? Um, I mean, honestly, just really, I think personally, it just comes down to the little things, you know, man. I mean, like I said, this is this, like I said, this was that's, that was a big game for us. So now we just really got to go in 
and look at, like I said, look at our steps, look at our alignments, make sure we're not giving anything on film that can give Tennessee an upper edge. You know, I mean, those those guys are looking for something like that too. I mean, like I said, we come in a week and look at stuff on their offense to see can we get a, a nudge before the game to really get ahead of them. But I mean, just that type of stuff, the small stuff. Because I mean, if small things start to build, they add up. That that creates big plays. I mean, that's something that as a, on the defensive side, we pride ourselves on not giving up big plays. And I mean, I feel like we did give a lot of big plays up on, on Thursday, and we're going to definitely fix that and make sure that they, Tennessee can't run the ball on us on Saturday. So uh, is there anything specifically that you think that you guys didn't do as well as you normally do uh, against West Virginia? Um, I mean, just our standard of, um, of stopping the run, you know, we, we pride ourselves. I mean, everybody sees, like, the sacks and the TFLs and that stuff. That, that gets that gets nationally recognized like that. But as a defense, playing on Coast Narduzzi, that's, that's what we pride ourselves on. I mean, stopping the run. We, we want to be a physical, hard-nosed defense that if you're going, if you're going to come and strap it up against us, you're going to have to work for every yard that you, that, you, that you run the ball and stuff like that. And I feel like that last game on Thursday, I mean, that's something that we kind of, like, slacked off on. And I feel like this this week is that's something we're definitely going to focus on, you know, because, I mean, that's 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 what makes Pittsburgh. We're hard-nosed. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll, we'll put it in your face and we're going we're gonna to talk our stuff, you know what I'm saying? We're going to make sure that you know that you ran the ball and you didn't get nothing. We're going to tell you about it, and then you explain, you're going to buck your chest shop up, and we're going to do it again. So, I mean, that's something that we're definitely going to work on this week and make sure that, that, that that's all tidied up for sure. I know he flushed down uh, the West Virginia win, as Coach Parcher would say, yeah. but you mentioned trash talk there. Yeah. Was that a chippy game on the field? I mean – We saw some uh, chirping <laughs> on the way to the oh, tunnel, yeah. but uh, – Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, that's. I mean, it comes. It comes with the game, you know. What I mean, like I said, that's. It comes with the magnitude of the game. You got guys that that came in and talked to us throughout the week. You know, what I'm saying that told us how they felt about the game. You know, what I'm saying they uh, throughout the week they, they put up videos and just older guys talking about how they felt about the game and their experiences within it. And I mean, those guys they have they have players on their team from West Virginia. So you got to think those guys are probably getting calls from their family members saying you you have you have to win this game. So they have an internal hate just because of the the lineage they have in their family from it. So I mean, it, it becomes chippy. And I mean, any football game is chippy, you know. But when it's when it's when it's more rather than a trophy, but just like like I, like people say, the hatred of just the two schools. That's that's what makes it even more exciting. I thought it was really nice of you guys to escort them to the locker room yeah. at the end of the game. That was that was, but it, it wasn't even during the you were you were talking quite a bit on on Twitter and yep. I'm sure elsewhere before the game, yep. uh, which we loved. But did you feel a little bit more pressure to perform after you? Uh, what did you say that you were you were their father? They yep. were your children. All, all you ran the gamut yeah. a little bit. Keenan uh, did a little bit too. It wasn't, oh yeah, it wasn't just John, but uh, <laughs> I mean, that's what's a robbery game. Yes, I mean that's a what extra. Comes, I about to say, let's come down. So I mean, like, I mean, my whole purpose when that was because I felt like throughout, like throughout the offseason, we were we, that game really wasn't getting the national buzz it deserved. I mean, I guess it had been a decade since the backyard bar was played. I mean, when it was a national stage for that game, people were talking about that for years in advance. So I felt like my whole goal was to really just put it out there and let people know, like, this is a game that you need to pay attention to and stuff like that. And, nah, I mean, just to answer your question, I, I felt no pressure. I mean, I knew what I had to go out there and do. I knew what my job was. And, I mean, I know I know who I am as a person. So, I mean, you got to – at the end of the day, I play defense. You have to block me. So, if you can't block me, then that's – that's you're not doing your job right now. If, I, if, I, if I'm unblockable, then I know I'm making plays. So, I'm, I'm never going to game nervous based on what I see on Twitter, on Instagram, or something like that. Because at the end of the day, like I said, you have to block me. I'm the only one on the defensive side of the ball. So Yeah. You do have that little bit of an advantage. Uh so speaking of the the Keaton video, yep. did did you immediately know that that was going to get as much traction as it did? And did did I saw him look back a little bit? Did he have to get like written permission from Narduzzi? Uh, <laughs> no, nah, he didn't get written permission. Uh, kind of before the bonfire, he kind of let us know he was going to do it, and he kind of set it up where 
as you guys seen, like uh, Narduzzi introduced all the cap and stuff like that. And the reason he looked back was because um, Narduzzi had, had introduced him earlier. He because uh, he was going by offensive defense, so he had introduced uh, Carter Warren. He introduced Keaton, and Keaton said, "No, I don't want to. I want to go last." So once he said that, Narduzzi was kind of like. Like what's going on? <laughs> well, nobody said it. None of the team said anything, so we kind of like wanted to surprise Narduzzi with it. And then he, when he brought Keaton on the last guy, and Keaton said it, Narduzzi just Narduzzi just, just lit up with a big old smile because he already knew what, what was going to happen. So he already knew how, how it was going to roll on the media and stuff like that. But I mean, Narduzzi likes that type of stuff, you know. I mean, he, he's a he's a big rivalry guy. He played in big games like in Michigan State and Michigan, so those rivalries are big for him. Yeah, and I was I was really happy at how chippy the game got. Uh, both in the stands and on the field, yeah. uh, because we, I think we had a little bit of concern that uh, we knew you guys would get up for the game, but you know you you aren't a Pittsburgh guy, right. and most of the guys aren't Pittsburgh guys, right. and even then they were some guys were seven the right. last time exactly. we played them. Yeah. So to see how seriously you guys took the game yeah. and how much gasoline you poured yeah. on the fire, we know twenty twenty three in Morgantown is going to be. Uh, Quite an intense Man, experience. It's gonna be, it's gonna be one to really pay attention to. I mean, I I can't speak on it. I really don't know. I can only imagine what it's gonna be like just based on stories from LaShawn McCoy and all those guys. I mean, they tell me that they get batteries thrown at them, all types of not crazy <laughs> stuff. So I can, I might have to go to Home Depot get me a hard hat or something like that because I, I'm I'm scared of getting batteries thrown at me. So I don't know. After this game, I don't know what's going to happen. When they, they might try to come out, run down on our hotel or something like that. So we <laughs> might need extra security. We might have to call the SWAT team or something just to barricade the doors. So they're going to definitely try to do something crazy when that when that Morgantown game comes up. Yeah, we were talking about that as fans. Like, well, we got to go to the game next year in Morgantown, and yeah. they're going to be pissed off. Yeah, so we might have to get in and out real quick. Yeah, yeah but I, like, I mean, we were on the North Shore chanting country roads at yeah. people. We were yelling, go home, mountaineers, <laughs> all that fun stuff. In Morgantown – might get fought. I was about to say definitely. Might get fought. Yeah. Morgantown's price is probably going to be an in and out, in and out uh, mission. You know, yeah. go in there, get the win, get on the bus, and get out. It's going to be sure. a business trip, and definitely. I, I don't think we're going to hang around because John and I, we don't have the natural protections that you might <laughs> uh, to defend ourselves adequately. <laughs> we might be in a little bit. Of, I don't think anyone's trying you if they see you on the street. Us, I, I would come out. I would fight us. <laughs> yeah. So, um, after the game. Um, we, we saw that, uh, what's his name, Jim Nagy, the head of the uh, Senior Bowl, uh, he, he sent out a tweet about how you had the Senior Bowl's attention after right. your performance. Uh, I think it's nice to say that you might not have been getting the NFL buzz that you deserved right. preseason. Uh, have you been sensing a little bit of momentum now after that game? Have people been reaching out? Scouts, have you been feeling that buzz? I mean, yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean, at the end of the day, I've always seen myself as an underdog, so I always like to keep that chip on my shoulder. I definitely use that going into that game. You know, I mean, like I said, I always wanted to be a player that plays on the biggest stages and makes those splash plays that really put myself in a position to get to the NFL. I mean, and once I saw that tweet, I felt like I accomplished my goal just for that game, you know, but – I got another 12 games to go, and I have to keep putting on a show every single week to put myself in, in that league that said this is this is one of the guys that's one of the top edge rushers in the college football, and that could be a possible top draft pick in the league. So it's definitely, it was definitely something that I checked off my box for sure. And he even mentioned in the tweet that you looked like an old-school Steelers outside linebacker. Or what, how, how would that feel, you know, stay in the same facility? Hey, man, I mean, that, that black and yellow, I mean, seeing it every day, it looks good. You know, I would, it does look good. It, it, you got I the mean, trap I, I mean, it, will go, it will flow right into it. I mean, I mean, that old Pittsburgh defense is something that you don't, 
you don't see nowadays. I mean, that they were they were hard nosed. They didn't they didn't care what you said about them. I mean, that that defense went out there, smashed you in the mouth. Like I said, lined it up again. Told you what you what you want to do. You either gonna cry about it or you gonna play football. And I mean, that's that's how I see myself playing the game. And I mean, so if it comes down to the dreams come true and I can go back and play with my boy Kenny again, I mean, why not? I mean, eight and six that could be a good duo back back in Pittsburgh again. I I, I was looking forward to that. Absolutely. Well, I mean, we we'd love to see that. They Definitely. they could use a little extra on the uh, the outside of that that linebacking position. Uh, so Tennessee coming into our field, yep. into our turf. Yep. Uh, what what should we expect out of that matchup? Um, it's definitely gonna be a hard nosed matchup. You know, I mean, Tennessee's a great team. They have a a, a great quarterback in Hendon Hooker. They have a a great offensive game. If, if you don't know, they uh. Their head coach is Josh Heupel. He's from UCF. He runs a high tempo offense. So, on the fit on in the stands, it, it may look like we're tired. We're going to be very tired. I mean, they're <laughs> they're a team that runs plays under twelve seconds. So it's, it's definitely. I mean, but we've put in the work in the offseason to make sure our bodies are in shape. We we make sure we plan stuff out to be ready for this game. I mean, it's going to be a hard nosed battle, just like last year. I mean, it didn't get bad to the fourth quarter when you got a guy Superman eight. Throwing the, throwing the ball back there, throwing dots. So, but throughout that game was a hard nosed battle, just our defensive side. Because I mean, like I said, that, that's a different, that's a different type of animal getting going against the SEC and that high power offense. But I'm excited, man. I, it's gonna be a dog fight. I mean, three thirty ABC. It gets no better than that. another prime time game for another prime time performance from from the defense. So I'm excited for it. As are we. Definitely. Well, John, we appreciate you stopping by the studio, a.k.a. my living room in Lawrenceville. <laughs> uh, and best of luck this week. And also, thank you for being in West Virginia, because do you know how much shit we would have had to eat? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> this would be a lot less fun if you guys didn't pull that out in the last five. Hey, man. I'm just, I'm blessed we got to win, man. I, yeah. I'm, I'm more, it's, it's, it's less about me, it's more about the fans, the, the, the former players, because, I mean, like I, like you like you said, I, I didn't I didn't know much about the backyard bro growing up, you know what I'm saying, being from Maryland and stuff like that. But coming being here for the last five years and understanding and just the past couple of months, understanding the magnitude of that game and being able to get that win was a blessing for me and a blessing for my teammates to really give that to you guys. And I, I appreciate you guys definitely coming out and showing support. That that definitely helped us a lot. Hear that, Pitt fans? If we want to win again, we have to pack the act. Indeed. Be there gotta, for Tennessee. Gotta pack the act for sure. John, thank you so much. This has been a pleasure, and best of luck next week. Thank you. I appreciate it. Please welcome to the show senior Tennessee writer for 247 Sports, Wes Rucker. Wes, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How y'all doing tonight? Nervous already. It's only Tuesday, but we're already, you know, butterflies and whatnot. Hey, I, I, I was a little bit. Not taken aback, but a tiny bit surprised when I saw the line and then I saw it start to move really quickly. I was like, hmm, that's uh, I was a little bit surprised by that. But uh, nonetheless, it's a uh, it's it's interesting because I think both both fan bases, I think, so as far as I can tell, are sort of like excited and also nervous. So so it so, so should be a good week. Yeah, we were we were um, also surprised. But what's that surprise when you're also a little bit mad? pissed off? We were pissed off when we saw the line. I, I don't, I don't, I don't blame you for that. Honestly, I, I thought because we had discussion on this because the Tennessee Ball State game was over after like four plays, and and so then we immediately were like, well, we have two and a half hours to kill. What do you want to do sitting up here in the press box? So we were, we start talking about you know that game and what the line might be, and we we were watching on because they got a bunch of screens in the Neyland press box, and we have our iPads up, and so we're we're 
watching Tennessee do whatever it is that it was doing to Ball State, which looked painful, and then <laughs> and watching Pitt, West Virginia also, and just kind of thinking about it. And I was like, you know what? I think Tennessee might be like a one or two point favorite. I said, I'm not, I'm not sure, but that would not surprise me. And the other guys were like, no, nah, it'll be a pick em or it'll be Pitt minus one. And I was like, I, somewhere around there. And then I saw it open at four and I was like, hmm. And then it mo- quickly moved to seven and I was like, hmm. Hmm. That that surprised me a little bit because uh, I don't know what you can glean from Tennessee beating up on Ball State, which has been pretty decent the past two seasons. Did not look decent this year, and then Pitt's playing a, a huge rival. So I, I, I in week one, so I don't know how you how you come with that information, but you know Vegas, Vegas is Vegas. Yeah, we're kind of seeing both sides of the coin there. On one hand, we're thinking maybe West Virginia is better than we thought, and we're still really good and we deserve to be a favorite server Tennessee. But on the other hand, maybe West Virginia isn't that good. And we just played pretty crappy and maybe that it's, spread is about right. Who knows? It's, it's a rivalry it's game. I mean, I, I've seen year for years. I, I've seen a lot of like Vanderbilt teams that had 20% of the talent Tennessee had make it a game for almost 60 minutes. It's a rivalry game. I've seen, you know, um, you know, I've seen Tennessee beat Georgia when it had no business doing it. I've seen, you know, like Wyoming beat Tennessee one year, Georgia state. I, I mean, you know, it's you, weird things happen in all games, but when you're talking about rivalry games, I mean, I see Vandy and Tennessee play games all the time. That shouldn't be close in R. So it's, 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 you throw it out the window, man. It's a rival. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, you, you, Interesting. You said you got a jump on watching uh, Pitt's tape during Tennessee's game against Ball State. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it was because, I mean, I don't know if y'all saw anything from Tennessee Ball State, but like uh, Ball State won the toss and, and wanted to receive. And on the very first play of the game, tried like a some sort of a trick pass, like flea flicker type deal, and it got intercepted. And that was the very first play of the game. The second play of the game was Tennessee throwing a touchdown pass. Uh, and then there was a stop and another score and a stop and another score. And, and, and you know, y'all have seen Tennessee play recently. They, they go absurdly fast. And so when they can pile it on a team and a team is starting to reel, I mean, ask like Mizzou and South Carolina last season. Like when it, when it gets bad, it gets bad. So you kind of knew what was coming. And mm. I was like, all right, well, I'm going to watch this because some freshmen are going to be playing and some other things. But, um, you know, we're, we're going to go ahead and look at Pitt, West Virginia, too, a little bit. So, yeah, I started watching that game a little bit during the Tennessee game because, you know, I mean, what, <laughs> I mean Hooker, Hooker was done after like three minutes in the third quarter. You know, Tennessee hardly played any starters at all after halftime. It, it was they, – they played five different quarterbacks. They played like two walk-on quarterbacks in the fourth quarter. It, it was – I mean, it was good for those kids, but it, it's not that interesting to watch. Well, let's start there for our preview. Uh, we'll rewind for a second and first ask, how thankful are you that Pitt injured Joe Milton last year? You know, I think a lot of Tennessee fans are, are like kind of low-key – like, thanks for that, you know? Yeah, you're kind of beholden to us now. It seems that way a little yeah. bit. Yeah, because, I mean, and here's the thing. I'll say this until I'm blue in the face. When Joe Milton came in last season and they had that quarterback competition in camp, it was not even close. He was the runaway winner of the competition. And honestly, I've been doing this for, what, 22, 23 years, been able to go a lot of places. The only quarterback I have ever seen who is physically more impressive than Joe Milton is is Cam Newton, and, and Joe Milton is that size. He, if you look mm-hmm. on the roster, was he six five two fifty? I mean, he is a brick shit house who can throw and run. And 
you just, he has that kind of personality about him. And you're like, man, I don't know what didn't work out in Michigan. Cause that guy looks really, 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 really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the season started and he, I don't know if it was nerves or where it was, but he, he was overthrowing people and just the timing wasn't quite there. And then meanwhile, Hendon Hooker just kind of like, Hey, I just transferred into, why don't you let me play for a second? And they did. And I, I mean, he, he only threw three interceptions all last year. One of them kind of decided the pit game, but that was only one of three he threw all year. So, uh, and, and before that in the pit game, he'd been really good. And, and if, you know, if, if, a, if a ball had been spotted correctly, if a couple of things had gone differently, maybe that game changes. But uh, still, that was sort of the beginning of the Hendon Hooker era. And then since then, I mean, my God, he's been he's been good. And it started when when Pitt hurt Milton there and I think tore two ligaments or something in one of his um, one of his legs. And uh, they kind of kept that quiet throughout the year because they needed him to be the backup still. But, yeah, it, it changed things. Yeah, I was I mean, that's that's the first thing anyone sees when they see Joe Milton. The guy can throw the ball out of the stadium and he damn near did uh, on the first couple drives against Pitt. He had you. The volunteers, I will fully admit, could have been up 21 in the first five minutes of the game, but he he couldn't hit the broad side of a barn. Yeah. And there's a couple things in that game that are interesting. One, like you mentioned, I mean, you know, they have those VOLS block letters and. Some of, us were, some of us were joking that like the O is like maybe a target he was trying to throw to <laughs> and like hit, hit it on the off the top of row ZZ there. But, you know, it, it's that happened and it really could have been, you know, because the block punt and everything. And then you had the couple of guys that were just wide open that he missed for big plays really could have been what 21, nothing, 24, seven, what it could have been. And then when Nealon gets you like that um, and 102,000 or 103,000 people start weighing on you like that. Even if you're a guy like Kenny Pickett, who who's got nerves of steel, it, it, it affects you a little bit, and it affects the people around you. And that happened. And then Jabari Small, Tennessee starting running back, did not play in the second half because he got hurt in that game with his ankle or something in the first half. And those couple of things, it, it's it's so such fine margins because uh, Tennessee had no depth last year. So it, it, that game could have gone any number of different ways if that hadn't happened. But maybe. For the long run, it was better for Tennessee that it went the way it did because the way that it went put Hendon Hooker out there. And since then, I mean, their offense is – George has been the only defense to make him look human. Yeah, Pitt yeah. fans are very familiar with Hendon Hooker. It's been like six years we've been playing him back to the Virginia Tech days, it feels like. But he's different now. Uh, what else about this Tennessee team is different? Are there any uh, glaring improvements or downgrades from last year's team? What should Pitt fans be looking for? Well, I mean, you know, Tennessee has got more depth than it had last season, but it's still not quite your your older brother's Tennessee Volunteers quite yet. Uh, they're 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 still kind of that's going to take a couple more classes, I think, probably to really. And the way they're recruiting now, it, it could get there fairly soon. But but they've got more depth. They just don't. I don't know if they have quite enough dudes on defense. Um, that that's something they have more depth across the board. I don't think there's any position where you're like, ah, that's really, 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 really thin. So that should help them because the way Tennessee plays offense, you need guys on defense because I mean, Tennessee's average touchdown drive is like a misfit song. I mean, it's like two minutes long. It's just <laughs> in and out. And, and that's, that's what they do. I mean, they, they have touchdown drives routinely that are like 80 seconds and they'd be like going 70 yards. So you're going to play a lot of plays. If you want to or not, you're going to be playing a lot of plays. And, and so if they go three and out, you're talking about maybe 20 seconds and you're off the field and you're back on it as defense. So if you don't have a ton of dudes, you at least need a bunch of guys. 
I don't know what the nomenclature is up there in uh, the Steel City, but sort of down here in the South, it's like if you're a good player, man, it's a dude. If you're just a regular player, that, that's a guy. You want dudes. You're okay with guys, but you want dudes. And and Tennessee used to be like a, a locker room full of dudes. And now uh, on defense, there's uh, Byron Young, who's a dude. Uh, Jeremy Banks maybe could be a dude. Um, they got some guys who could be dudes, but but what they have is a bunch of guys. They have more depth. They're not mm-hmm. playing walk-ons generally now as backups anywhere, and that that's going to help them. Uh, and offensively, um, they are very, 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 very good. Um, there, there is that that is not their problem. They're going to score a lot of points. They could have scored eighty plus if they wanted to against Ball State. I mean, I'm that's no exaggeration. They go fast. They've got a, a bunch of receivers you're going to see playing on Sundays. Uh, a couple of good running backs. Offensive line return four starters. They know the system. You can beat Tennessee, but you're usually going to have to score points to do it, even if your head coach is one of the best defensive coaches in the country, who I think Narduzzi is. So you're, you're going to have to score points to beat them. But if you're good enough on offense, you can do that. Yeah, so to answer your uh, inquisition about names, we that that is uh, we Yankees do have the dude and the guy thing, but there's one step above it um, that is dogs. Yeah, and uh, Narduzzi has a kennel uh, on the defensive line, so to speak. So you you are correct, and we've very much been yeah, curious. There's a bunch of those bunch of those guys are going to play on Sundays. Pitt's oh, absolutely. Pitt's defensive absolutely. line is 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 it, it looks strikingly similar to an SEC defensive line. And and that's it, one of the biggest compliments you can get because people roll their eyes all the time about, oh, SEC this, SEC that. I'm fighting my eyeballs right now. I just want to <laughs> let you know. Sure. Yeah. I mean, and yeah. I get it. If you are, if you are a, a fan or, or if you are not in the Southeast or you are not an SEC fan, you, I mean, you get probably want to throw up just hearing it. And I do think, and I've said this for a long time, you can go a lot of places around the country and at most positions, you can find people who have units that are about as good as what you have in the SEC. What you usually don't have, and this is why the SEC wins so many championships, it's the defensive line. The SEC defensive linemen are a different breed. They are ginormous. They are big. They are athletic. They are mean as hell. They're just different. And sometimes like a team like a USC or an Ohio State will, will, will jump up and have one of those. Um, but that's what usually separates – I think the SEC from other conferences, it's not so much the other positions. It, it's, and people say SEC speed, you can get guys who run anywhere. I think the defensive line is where the SEC separates itself. But, but, and Pitt's very good. I mean, you know, Clyde and some of those dudes, I mean, those are, those are dudes, man. Dogs, even. Dogs, um, even. Might dogs, even. even. They're, they're dog dudes. They're awesome. Big fan of them. Wolfmen, maybe. Um, but so uh, aside from our defensive line that is typically dominant, maybe not as much in that West Virginia game, although you know we're happy with their performance. What did you notice about the Pitt team uh, that you saw play against West Virginia while Tennessee was beating the hell out of Ball State? What what concerns you and what kind of had you licking your chops? You know, I think that one of the single biggest reasons Pitt won that game last year was because I think that was really, and I, you, you would absolutely know this better than me, but that week was the first time that on a national stage, Kenny, you know, Pickett was really like, Whoa, Whoa. Like that was the first time that people were like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. Look at this guy. Agreed. He, he escaped what should have been, I don't know, 10 sacks in that game. 
I mean, Tennessee was on him and he just kept slipping away. He kept, you know, moving, moving left or right, keeping plays alive, making plays with his feet and then his arm. He, he didn't single-handedly win that game, but he, he won that game. And Slovis just as talented as his arm is, he does not move the way his predecessor did. And that's something that, that I think if you're Tennessee, you're probably happy about because it's hard to run directly north and south on Tennessee. Pitt actually did a better job than I thought it would last year. Um, where you can get Tennessee is get them in space, and and you can really sort of give them some fits there. And and Slovis, just for all the talents that he has, I, I don't know that it's that, that that's what he does best. That's a nice way to put it. So I think that's something that when you got guys like Young and and Tyler Barron and some of these guys bearing down on you, um, that that that's going to be a challenge, I think, for them. Because what Pitt, I think, would like to do, and Narduzzi brought in a whole new offensive staff basically to do, was to run the damn ball. And that's what he wants to do. Um, and, and I think I might be eating my words on this come Saturday at about 7 p.m. But I, I think I don't think running north and south at Tennessee is going to get you what you want. I think you're going to have to get him in space and do that. So so that's something. And I also thought that, um, you know, Narduzzi's such a such a good defensive coach and those defensive backs, they disguise things pretty well. There's some things mm. they normally do. But I don't know if they're quite as good as they as they you would think an Arduzzi would team team would be on the back end. And it's early; it's one game. I, I just that there were some things that I saw that I was like, eh, yeah, I don't I don't know if that's quite what I expected, you know, because Tennessee mm-hmm. has got a lot of big time players at receiver who can take the top off a of defense. I mean, Tillman and McCoy are like linebackers who can run, uh, and and Jalen Hyatt is probably one of the fastest receivers in the country, but Squirrel White's even faster than Jalen Hyatt. So Tennessee's got guys that are going to give you problems offensively like that. But um, I I think maybe that could be why the line is where it is. I, I think what Pitt wants to do offensively and defensively, I just think it's a decent matchup for Tennessee. And I don't know that it's about which team is better than the other. I think it might be about matchups as much as anything. And I think they think that, so many things of what Pitt did to give Tennessee problems last year were a magician at quarterback. And right now they got a guy who's really good. If you give him the time to throw and give him the the, the stuff around him, that would be, would be my thought. But then again, uh, if they can keep Slovis upright, uh, he is going to be able to make plays downfield. He absolutely is. I know that, uh, I don't know if I can even say his name, but uh, it might be, upsetting people but the guy who's now on the west coast the guy who's now on the west coast um oh, he, i thought you were trying to pronounce our running back's name no, no, that's, no, no, no. that's way oh, more no. hurtful oh no 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 yeah, yeah I, I was gonna i didn't know i you, you i know y'all are y'all are a fan cast so i was trying to i was like i don't know if i should say but that man, that guy was really really good they got some receivers now who are good too um but that guy was was something else and but still tennessee secondary if you can spread the field and you can get linebackers and safeties matched up in coverage, and you have a quarterback who can move a little bit, you're going to have fun playing Tennessee's defense. If you don't have those things, you're going to have to execute really, really well. And so if Pitt goes out there and executes really, really well, it can still have a good day. But I don't know that their personnel makes it a natural thing to go out there and do that because I think there's teams who are not as good as Pitt who could maybe score more points on Tennessee, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's something that Pitt fans uh, are definitely aware of when it comes to scheme. There, on the flip side of what you just said, there are teams uh, better than Tennessee that Pitt fans might be feel better playing against because they don't have that 
uh, home run quick strike offense because we know that is what gives us fits. Uh, I know the first thing I looked at when I was looking at Tennessee's roster was that they have like four receivers who are over six foot two. And that combined with the Josh Heupel offense is probably the scariest thing that Piddle face all year. Yeah. And that's tough because I know that it is, you know, cause Narduzzi's really good at going in and getting, you know, DBs and, and corners who maybe are, if, if they were like an inch or two taller, they might be going somewhere else, but he, he's such a good coach that they're able to kind of coach him. And he, and he did this at Michigan state too. Um, mm-hmm. Goes in and gets these guys and makes them damn good players. But at the end of the day, if you're six, four, six, five, uh, I'll quote former Tennessee football coach uh, Derek Dooley Esquire, who used to call it picking peanuts off your head. You know, because at the end of the day, if if a receiver six five, you can be a really good athlete. He's still going to go pick some peanuts off your head. And there's some people who who thought, and I was one of them who thought Tillman might go pro after last year. I mean, he had a big season. He's big time player, um, but he wanted to come out for another year. And Hooker came back too, and then they got Brew McCoy transferring over from USC, and, and he's about an inch shorter so he's about six four six three but a little bit bigger i mean he looks like a linebacker running around out there um and and they got some of those guys who can just kind of go over the top of you but they also have the little short guys too and and the thing that that narduzzi said this monday and it was it was a really really good point when he said tennessee will make you play man defense even if you don't want to play man defense because i know so much of what narduzzi does it's it's those kind of complex blitz schemes but with zone at the back and it's a concept that a lot of people can have some trouble with um but tennessee i mean you got one receiver who's basically standing on one sideline another who's standing on the other sideline the linemen are spread apart a little bit the slot receiver is god knows where they spread you out so much that it's really really hard to play zone um it just with what they do so um, you're going to have to make plays in man coverage and you're going to have to hope that either Hooker is inaccurate or you're rushing ho- Hooker and getting in his face and making things hard for him or uh, your DBs just ball out. And if your DBs go out there and ball out, you can get the job done, but you got to go out there and do it. So that that's a lot of possibilities, specifically a lot of possibilities that should uh, give pause to a uh, Panther fan base that is riding high right now. So that's what you think could happen. Um, what do you think will happen? We're going to, we're going we're gonna, to, you know, hold the candle to your feet and ask for a prediction here. I mean, I think when I look at the matchups right now at the two teams, I think Tennessee is probably about four or five points better, maybe with the matchups. But I, I don't know. I mean, last year I thought Tennessee was going to win that game. I, I didn't think it was going to be – I thought it was going to be close, um, but I thought Tennessee was going to win. And of course, I thought, also didn't think Hendon Hooker was going to come in at quarterback. <laughs> you could fill an ocean with, with shit I don't know. But I thought last season that, that Tennessee would win that game. I think it will win, will win this game. And if you know me, you'll know that a lot of times I say Tennessee's not going to win, and, and Tennessee fans do not like hearing that. But it's something about – they're they're really 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 good offensively and i think teams are going to beat tennessee this season i think tennessee some people say a nine win team i think it's more like an eight win team maybe but we'll we'll see but teams are going to be be able to beat tennessee but they're gonna have to score 40 points to do it most likely um because and it's just a numbers game because tennessee plays so fast offensively that whatever the normal possession numbers are in a game uh, up them by about you know twenty or so snaps maybe each way. That that's how I mean they they go. 
they routinely snap the ball when there's more than 30 seconds left on the play clock. Like that's how fast they're going. And so you're going to have to like go army style or Navy style and like huddle and sit there for like 30 seconds. If you want to not play like a high possession game. So it's not just that they're so explosive offensively. It's that there's also more possessions in the game. But I, I think, I think that with hooker playing quarterback, the way he is now, with I think some of their running backs I, I think are 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 pretty underrated players. I think Jalen Wright especially is an underrated player. Um I, I, I just I I I like this matchup for Tennessee. I don't love it, um, but I like it. And I think it's a close game. I don't think it's gonna be I think you're gonna be chewing a lot of antacid if you're either team, to be <laughs> honest with you, if you're a fan fan of either team. And um seems to be all either of us no. Yeah, like if like if either team, oh yeah, no, I, I got a bunch of family up in Mount Lebanon, uh, and, and Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and, and went to Pitt, and then they know Pitt very well, and so they know the the uh, the consistent maddening frustration that comes with sometimes trying to understand how Pitt can beat teams that it does, and then lose to teams that it does, and I mean even last year, right? Like after the Tennessee game, it was like, what the hell is that? Uh, but I was like, people were like, how did that happen? I was like, y'all don't know Pitt. I got a family up there. That's, 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 you know, it's, it's not that out of character guys. It, it happens. Um, but they were able to rally from that, you know, go to the ACC title. Awesome stuff. Really, 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 really fun team to watch. Um, and I like Narduzzi as a coach. So um, I think if Tennessee goes out there and lays an egg, Pitt could, could, could roll. But I think Tennessee is going to go up there and play pretty well. Uh, I think the way the game ended last year really, really bothers them. Um, I don't know if they're going to say that because they're usually pretty careful about what they say but they they felt like last season that it wasn't like Alabama or Georgia where it's just like you know what the the other team at the end of the day just had more talent and it was what it was and gave them a good fight they felt like they lost that game against Pitt when they should have won it they they left the field angry that day because they they thought they knew how good the quarterback was they knew Pitt was a good team they felt like they should have won and especially for someone to come down to Neyland and do that to you that, that that's not going to sit well with them so I think they'll come out focused um and the most interesting thing is how well these guys know each other because you know UCF and Pitt played a couple times and then Tennessee and Pitt are now playing for a second in a row and then Hooker as Narduzzi said has probably played Pitt 13 times in his career it seems like <laughs> I mean, th- th- there's a for for a game that's not a conference game. These two know each other familiar. really, really well. Like the staffs know each other, and and the they know each other's schemes. The players know each other because Tennessee recruits them all over the place, including some guys from up that way and, and Virginia and up that way. So so th- there's a lot of familiarity here, and I think um, the environment shouldn't be a factor too much for Tennessee. I mean, playing in the league, they play in, you're used to that kind of stuff. If, if it's, if it's full and rocking and, and people in your face, they got four offensive linemen back as starters, their quarterbacks like 34 years old. I mean, they, they should be able to handle that reasonably well, you would imagine. Um, so I think it'll be a good game. And I, if you put a gun to my head, I, I would say, I think Tennessee wins a close game, but I could wake up, tomorrow and be like uh, i just can't do it 
so and I'll, and I'll go the other way. So right now I'm pretty sure I'll pick Tennessee to win it because I'm stubborn. And before the season, I mapped out a, an eight and four regular season that had this as a win. So um, that would really throw an early curveball into my predictions. So I'm going to stick to it and be stubborn here, but um, I, I'm not looking too much into that Pitt West Virginia game because I know how much it meant to both sides to rekindle that rivalry. I know that atmosphere was awesome. It was fun. And Pitt's a better team, um, but West Virginia is going to go up there and, and make it a closer game because that's just how rivalries go sometimes. I don't look too much into that, and I don't look much at all into what Tennessee did to Ball State because that's felt like a, a scrimmage. But I think this will be a fun game. I think Tennessee will win a close game, but I'm absolutely would I would not bet a mortgage payment on it, let alone something more. <laughs> than that. I would not. I would not be like, hey, go to FanDuel and do this, or you know, go to CBS. Lock of the century, yeah. No, yeah, I'm not. I'm not uber confident about this. I, I just think, for me, it's about the matchups. But I don't think it helps Tennessee that Tennessee opened as a favorite, and then the line started moving too, because you know Pitt's coaching staff is sitting there all day, every day, telling those guys, hey man. You went to their house and beat them last year, and still nobody respects you. You know, he went on about the fans last week, about how they showed up, and, and there weren't as many West Virginia fans as they thought. So they're kind of on this gravy train right now of like, hey, man, nobody respecting you. No, look, you you, you went to the AC title game last year. Look, put guys in the league. You got all these guys who are going to play in the league now. Got a culture that we're building here, and still nobody respects you. So that is a dangerous thing. You don't want to mm-hmm. be playing your team, especially – with its home fans behind it, that's going to be like that. So that gives me some serious cause for pause. But but I think, um, I think the factors. If it's a seesaw, that it's just Tennessee is just a little fatter. Like the it it just it goes that way for me as I think about it. But but it's it's close, man. It's close now. And I think it should be a fun game. Like I was talking to a couple of my other coworkers about this. Like they're everybody's pretty excited to cover this game and it's because it's it's new you know it's a place that i've been but it's a place that not a lot of tennessee fans have been before it's you know it's a it's a, it's a neat city an underrated city i say that selfishly because i have family up there and and I, and I like the city and grew up with watching my cousins play street hockey and stuff and thought it was super fun and so i i like to i like the the environment up there man I, pittsburgh is like a southern city which is just, it's just a little colder um i've always thought of it like that it, it feels very Appalachian, very, very much almost like a like a Appalachian southeastern city. So I'm, I'm probably Paris of the Appalachian. There you go. There you go. And but I I think long story short, I, I think it's gonna be a really fun game. And I think Tennessee wins a close game. But if, if you were to ask me to put anything more than like this $20 bill on my wallet here on it, I would tell you no. Well, we appreciate your hesitation to mush your volunteers. Wes, thank you so much for joining us, and enjoy your stay in Pittsburgh. Welcome back to the Loyal Sun Sportsbook. Looking at last week, I'm ringing up the rear. I had three correct predictions. Dave and Squid both had four correct. We'll keep a running tally going throughout the season to see who gets those coveted Loyal Suns points at the end of the year. But now it's time to preview the Tennessee game. So we've got seven prop bets that we've made here, and we're going to just get right into it. So to start off, big topic of last week against West Virginia was the run defense. 
Will Tennessee have a 100-yard rush on Saturday? David? Uh, I'm, I'm going to go no. So I don't, I don't know if that'd be phrased as, you know, their leading rusher under 100 yards. Um, I, I, I think we... We were top 10 in, in run defense last year. Uh, I think them bringing in Donaldson as a change up and, and, you know, really relying on the run game surprised us based on what Pitt knew about Graham Harrell. Um, I do think Pat Narduzzi will be able to make the tweaks necessary to, uh, you know, stop the run. Um, so I am, I am going to go under, but that, that run attack at Tennessee does scare me. Um, in terms of a total yardage, you know, cause I think they have a couple backs and Hendon hooker that can all carry a load, but I, I don't think any individual guy is going to kill us. Yeah, I agree with you, David. I don't know if Tennessee has a bell cow running back. It seems like they take a committee approach. So I don't think one particular guy will get over a hundred. I also think they'll be passing the ball a ton. So I will also go under 100. I'm going to go under because I think if they have a hundred yard rusher on Saturday, Pitt loses. If they allow another team to run the ball, like they did West Virginia, they can't, they can't let this Tennessee offense run the ball at will, because I think their pass passing tax is going to be a little better than West Virginia's was. So we're all going to go under there. Next up hooker, Hendon hooker over under 315 total yards. And there was some, there was some debate in the, in the pre pre-show prep about where this line should be set so David why don't you get started because you you drove this one up a little bit yeah and I I think a lot of that conversation stemmed from the fact that I have no idea how much numbers are worth um we we said 315 right Mm -hmm. 315 yards over under so this one is it's really difficult for him because he is both a passer and a runner. Um, and, you know, we didn't see him run a lot last week against Ball State. Um, when you beat a team by 49 points, I don't think there's much utility in uh, making your star quarterback lower his shoulder through the offensive line. That's just asking for it. Um I, I think I, I will go over. Um, I, I don't think our defense is going to be dominant next week by any means. That does not mean that I think that they are going to lose, but this is a team that can, in, in the Tennessee Volunteers, uh, they improved since we played them last year a lot. It, it, I don't know if you guys remember, but we were facing Joe Milton the first quarter and a half and he was the reason for a lot of their uh offensive impotence so when hooker was in they looked better and as the season progressed and they got more familiar with uh josh hoople's offense he started looking really good so i i think that this is an offense that's going to be prolific it's going to put up yards it's going to be put up points um and i think i think hendon hooker will be uh, tough to bottle up. So I, I think I do see a metric of, you know, 50, 60 rush yards and, you know, high two hundreds passing. So I, I, I will go over by a little. I'm going to go over. Uh, when you look back to last year, it seemed like Kenan Hooker threw for a lot more yards than he really did. He only threw for about 230 and he, he ran for, in the 40s 
I didn't play the whole game. We know that, but it seemed like it threw for a lot more. And I am worried that they're just going to keep doing what they did last year to us. But for four quarters, uh, I'm going over. Going under. I think that D line is going to get after him this week. I think Hypel is going to try to run the up tempo. They're going to try to run a ton of plays, but. I just don't see it. I, I think this pit defense is going to be pissed off after after last week's performance, and I think there's going to be a, a bit of a revenge tour for them. So I'm going to go under there. I think our, our biggest hope there would be sacking him a few times because college does the stupid thing where sacks count against the quarterback's uh, rushing numbers. So I, I do think that could help us, but otherwise I think he's he's going over. Well, I think they're going to get to him a few times. So on the next one, we're going to look at – Slovis, Slovis, will Keaton Slovis be sacked over or under three and a half times this week against Tennessee? West Virginia Mountaineers got to him five times in the opener. So do we see improvement on the offensive line? Do we see improvement in his pocket presence? This is a more important one than I I think we think, uh, right? Because I think if he goes and he is sacked four or more times, then we have a bona fide problem on our hands. If he goes under, then the thing is fixed. Uh, We have demonstrated that Keaton Slovis, hypothetically in this scenario, uh, is is great at learning and adapting, and Signetti is too, and the offensive line is too. Uh, But this is, of all of the potential metrics for this game, I think this one is by far the most important. Um, so I am going to go over and say he's sacked four times uh, because then if uh, it does turn out that our offensive line really isn't that good and that Slovis has a little bit of that Tino Sinceri bug, um, that at the very least I will have one more loyal sun point to uh, wipe my tears with. I'm going to go under. I still think they get to him three times, but I think Signetti will do more designed quick passes because uh, I think this Tennessee D-line is just as good as uh, West Virginia's. And, yeah, things got a little bit of a hit on the ball too long. So I think they're going to try to speed up Slovis's internal clock, make him throw it quick because when he does, good things happen. I'm going to go under here too. I think. There's, there's some things to fix from that opener. I think Slovis getting more comfortable with the receivers, getting, finally getting hit a couple of times. Squid, you mentioned how in camp they weren't really blowing the play dead, letting the quarterback extend the play a little longer, even though when it may have resulted in a sack. Well, Slovis has been hit a few times now. Um, so I, I think, you know, they're going to clean that up and I'm going to go under three and a half. It's worth mentioning. Uh, in a 50-point win against a MAC opponent, uh, Tennessee only had two tackles for loss, and they did not get to the quarterback once. So, uh, if ever you were to your defensive line were to rack up some numbers, I think it would have been that scenario. So, uh, I might be in a little bit of jeopardy there, but I imagine they're going to be sending. I, I mean, you watch that film. You 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 send five, six guys at Keaton Slovis. Maybe Ball State just has the best offensive line in the MAC. 
Ah, uh, yes. Like having the. Nope. I was going to make a joke that would have gotten us in a lot of trouble. <laughs> All right. On to the next one, then. This this one, I think, is pretty important for the success of Pitt's offense. Last week, we set Izzy's over under rushing yards at 100. Me and David went over. He was well, well, well under that. This week, the line's knocked down a bit, but with him being the feature back with Rodney Hammond, not going to be able to go um, over under 75 rushing yards. Rushing yards, not total. 75 rushing yards for Izzy Vanacanda. Uh, I unfortunately will go under. Um, last year when we tried to run the ball against Tennessee, it, it looked like we were just driving a crash test car into a wall. I, there was, there was no room. Um, I, I don't think this is the game where Izzy reclaims, uh, you know, the things that made him special last year when we gave him a bunch of carries, um, overall, I just, I just think that we're going to be a little bit more pass heavy next week. Uh, so while I think he will be pivotal in the passing game, I think they're going to get him involved and in space a lot there. Uh, I, I don't see us just completely carving them up on the ground this week. I'm going to go under, but I think it'll be close. I took the under last week because I thought Izzy would get about 75 and Hammond would get about 40 and then it would trickle down. Um, now that Hammond is out, I think we'll be really close to this. I don't think we're just going to abandon the run game. You saw how much Andy wanted to run the ball. I think they're going to try to run the ball almost as much, uh, hopefully with a little bit more success. So that'll get them close, but we're going to throw the bottle in this game. I'm going to go over. I think they're going to try to run the ball. I do not think Narduzzi and Signetti will just abandon the run game. And I think this O-line is going to be pissed off that they weren't able to with Izzy as much in week one. And I think Izzy's going to have a little bit something to prove too. And I'm still waiting for him to hit that home run, that 50 yard touchdown run and just give him a little bit of space, that four, four speed he can get going. I'm going to go over and I think he gets damn close to hundred yards this week. Please. <laughs> Next one. This is an open-ended prop. Who will be Pitt's leading receiver this week? That's most receiving yards. Uh, I'm going to take advantage of my position as first guy to take Kanate Mumfield uh, for well, all the same people. in drafts. So we can also take him. So. Yeah, but you'd kind of be soft if you just took well, I'm my... taking my field too, just because of that. So there oh, you go. Well, um... <laughs> I'm going to go with uh, Jared Wayne. Jared Wayne would have been the winner last week. So yeah, I, I do think all of the receivers have a chance at a big day. Like we said, we, they want to throw the ball a little more. Maybe a deep ball for Bub Means. Maybe. Jaden Bradley gets a little more involved in, in the passing game. Maybe Gavin Bartholomew says goes into the tight end room this week and says, I'm not blocking all damn game. Throw me the damn ball. So I think there's a lot of options here, but Mumfield's really the safe pick. Let's be honest. Yeah. I mean, for all the reasons that we said earlier, he was open on every single route. 
I mean, Keaton Slovis could have put on a similar stat line uh, on Thursday night if he had just thrown the ball to Kanate Mumfield every single play. Uh, so I, I think he's a very safe bet there, and I, I think they're going to start game planning around him. We're high on Mumfield as the leading receiver. Will he be the first touchdown scorer, David? That's our next prop here. Who will be the first touchdown scorer? This is – none of us hit this last week, but this is a big one because it's worth two Loyal Suns points. So is this – I asked it last week and got kind of laughed at. First touchdown score for Pitt. For Pitt. First touchdown score, comma, Pittsburgh. Um, then I am going to say uh, – I think I, I think I picked him last week as well, but I'm going to say Izzy. Uh, I think it's going to be really important for Signetti to uh, get him rolling, get him confident. So I could see a concerted effort to punch him into the end zone uh, early and get him feeling good about himself. And I think Signetti showed precedent by getting the ball back to Bub Means after he fumbled. Uh, he knows what a psychological game this is. So I, I think, yeah, concerted effort to get Izzy the ball into the end zone. I'm going with Daniel Carter. Wow. I think we get down inside the one, two yard line again, and we just give it to him. He hammers it home. Go on, specialist. He's going to be like the Mike Tolbert of the Pittsburgh Panthers. I was going to say he's going to have a Jerome Bettis stat line from Bettis's last season where he had multiple games of multiple TDs, but like less than four yards. Is that what Perhaps. we're looking at for Dan Carter this year? Hey, get in the end zone one way or another. Dan Carter got some bounce. He got up over the line. Yeah, yeah I was impressed. I thought he would just burrow his way through a hole, run a guy over. No, he got up and over. So I think that's going to be a weapon down around there. Not often you see the fullback dive being up and over the, the offensive line touchdown. But, yeah, that was electric. I, I would love to see Dan Carter become a touchdown vulture for, for <laughs> I'm going to go – I'm going to ride with Mumfield. I think this is going to be his real breakout game. I think he's going to have put up huge numbers. And early and often, we saw it in the first game. They tried to hit him on a deep ball in the play action. Slowest overthrew him a little bit, but definitely could have been a score. So, I'm going to go Mumfield's our first touchdown score on Saturday. Love it. Now we're getting a little closer into our real predictions. We're going to look at – as of today, Monday, Labor Day, the line is at six and a half. Tennessee is favored by six and a half. Feels a little disrespectful, and I have a feeling what direction us three are going to go with this one, but I'll, I'll let you kick it off. Yeah, I mean, that's deeply disrespectful. I, I hate that so much. Uh, I don't know how. And it's it's been moving progressively in their favor. It was It was like minus three and a half before the West Virginia game and something about Pitt beating a, uh, a power five rival in a very emotional fashion in which they kind of figured it out as the game progressed, uh, turned, you know, betters away from the university of Pittsburgh, six and a half at home. Uh, that that's ridiculous. I, even if Tennessee wins, I think it would be a really close game. They won't, but uh, even if they did, there's no way it's going to be by, you know, a significant anything as significant as you know a full touchdown. I say Pitt covers that. I'm going to pick them to win. 
even though in our season preview, this was the game that I picked Pitt to lose. Um, I think Pitt will benefit from playing this tough matchup week one. I know last year Pitt didn't handle the big wins, big emotional wins very successfully. They went on to lose the game is following it up, but I think they learned their lesson. And I think Tennessee steamrolled ball state. They looked perfect. Uh, but they're in for a wake-up call when they go from Ball State to Pitt on the road. So I think Pitt squeaks one out. I love I love the value on a money line bet here. I do think Pitt's going to win the game, and we can kind of just jump right into our score predictions here. But absolutely taking Pitt to cover the six and a half, and I'm just going to kick us off with the score predictions. I think Pitt pulls this one out. I think it will be a bit of a shootout. But I think Pitt pulls out, and I think do think it's going to be close. I'm going to go 41-38 Panthers. Oh my god, that was exactly wait, wait, mine. Wait, 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 were we were we all going to say 41-38? What were you? That, yes. All right. Well, I think that's that's good enough for me. That's a yeah. Sign. I that's a good omen. <laughs> all right. Uh, well, let's let's get into it then. Um, well, I'm going to be kind of freaking out if there's like 30 seconds left on the clock and it's it's 38 38 Pitt has the ball going down actually i don't know if i'll be freaking out i might just be like yeah we got this in the bag ben yeah. Sells is gonna go bury this and win the game that's bizarre but i'll take it here's my justification uh tennessee is gonna score points Correct. they're probably gonna score a lot of points and um but Pitt's gonna the- score more is that your justification yeah, Pitt's going to score 41 points and Tennessee's going to score 38. That's what it's going to come down to. I I admittedly uh, left the West Virginia game thinking, like, that was cool, and I'm really excited to hold that over Mountaineer fans' heads for the next year. Um, but, oh, boy, I don't know about Tennessee, man. That's... We, we failed in a couple areas that they could easily exploit. But the farther I get away from it, um, all of the issues, we've said it, we've said it before, we can say it a hundred times again, all of the issues Pitt showed are very fixable. Uh, and we're, we're very much, you know, symbolic of first game of the year jitters and knocking off the cobwebs and just finally getting to play an opponent that isn't your own team in practice. Uh, So with 10 days, and that I think is the key there with 10 days between West Virginia and Tennessee, uh, I think it's going to allow us to grind a little bit more tape, work out a little bit more of the kinks. I think they are going to come ready for whatever Tennessee throws at them uh, with a, a better more succinct offensive plan and a defense that is uh, ready to put, some of its, you know, screw ups behind it. I think something that was big was I mentioned everything from Pat Nutter's press conferences. I'm going to do it again. He said that there were players in the locker room after the game that came up to him and said, Hey, I was my best today. I'll be better. There were a lot of guys that did not play their best, but despite not playing their best, Pitt came out and beat a quality opponent. Uh, I think that says a lot about this team that they can squeak them out whenever they don't look their best. We saw it last year, but we wondered, could they still do that without the Kenny Pickett factor? And I think we will be able to iron out those details. The guys that maybe weren't on might have missed plays or two can uh, 
make them in week two? I think the more important um, question for this game would be, uh, and, and Dylan, if we want to add this to the uh, to, to the big board, uh, will will be over or under seventy five percent Tennessee fans there on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, I heard they travel well, it, despite being eight hours away. I heard they actually travel better than Mountaineer fans, so could be a sea of orange in in Akershore on on Saturday. Yeah, yeah, it'll be it'll be just like you know. Just like Thursday night, I mean, there there might have been twenty or thirty pit fans there. I mean, there were barely any West Virginia fans there. That the whole seventy five twenty five thing, it was even dumber in retrospect than it it was stupid originally. And shout out to Pat Narduzzi for calling out ESPN and just loved Scott it. Van Pelt just loved it. Kind of kind of had to eat that. Scott Van Pelt wasn't the idiot who put up a bit no, of no. graphic, but uh, I appreciate Pat Narduzzi calling that out. And that's, that's why we love Narduzzi. He's, he's there for us. I love that. I love that move so much. And I know like that triggered the standard uh, Pat Narduzzi is just, just an asshole of, from like everyone outside of the pit sphere, but I loved it. This program has been fighting this perception that we have super ambivalent fans for years and we've been fighting the attendance thing for years. So for a game that we knew that pit fans were going to show out and show up, it was so frustrating that the media narrative that was pushed and the perception that people outside the program were going to receive was Pitt's biggest home game in years, and they might make up 25% of the stadium. Uh, it's It was wrong. I'm glad Narduzzi called it out because he knew that people that weren't there or didn't even watch the game were still going to, they were going to hear that 75 number, and that, that was just going to kind of be the fact that they accepted when it was wrong. Um, and, uh, I mean, really, it, it, that ESPN segment was what it was. It was a native vivid seats ad where they uh, grabbed a statistic that they knew would get traction on social media from the website. Uh, didn't provide any of the context like it was um, resale only that it was vivid seats, which is like the fourth biggest third party ticket vendor on the market. Uh, and you know, the fact that it didn't include 50,000 student and pit season ticket holders. So I'm so happy he called that for what it was. Yeah, not to sound like attendance state fans, but me, Dylan, a few other guys in our row, we were just having a hoot making fun of that during the game. Like on the last drive, there's a false start by West Virginia where the crowd was roaring. And we look at each other like, huh, that's weird. Why are the 55,000 Mountaineer fans here screaming while their team's on offense? Should they want to be quiet so they can hear the quarterback's cadence? And, uh, yeah, it was hilarious. All of the go-home Mountaineers, seeing country roads, leaving the stadium. It was crazy that 10,000 Pitt fans were able to be that loud. I was so yeah. impressed. M- must Man. have had mics planted. We managed to go like an hour and a half or more of this of this episode without bringing up attendance, but I'm glad we could get that off real quick. I'm, I am glad that we got it off, and it sounds like we are all going under on the 75% <laughs> volunteers. But I, I, I 
brought this up because I really wanted to stress the point after I got that whole rant off my chest uh, that we need a repeat performance on Saturday. Absolutely. That, that place was rocking. Uh, it brought out people that probably haven't been to a pit game in years. I hope they had an incredible time and want to, you know, schedule their Saturdays around pit football the rest of the season. But we need another environment like that. If we're going to, you know, win a game that would be paramount to Pitt's college football playoff ranking uh, hopes and, and dreams and, and the resume. As fun as that game was and as electric as that environment was, that game was like a chore. By the time it was over, I felt mentally and physically exhausted. So I'm glad we had 10 days off to recharge because we'll be bringing that same energy on Saturday. Yeah, bring bring your sisters, your cousins, uh, your coworkers, anyone. We we gotta pack the act. If we if we want Pitt to be off and running in this one, we gotta pack the act. Please come to the game. Please be loud. Please win. Please win. Please don't make us listen to Rocky Top all day. Please shut them down and win the game. Thank you. Please. Wish that I was on old Rocky Top down in the Tennessee hills. Ain't no smoggy smoke on Rocky Top. Ain't no telephone bills. Once I had a girl on Rocky Top, half bear the other half cat. While as a mink but sweet eyed soda pop, I still dream about that. Rocky Top, you'll always be home sweet home to me. Good old Rocky Top, Rocky Top, Tennessee, Rocky Top, Tennessee. Once two strangers climbed old Rocky Top looking for a moonshine still.